Heroes and hot, handsome honks. It's Marvel versus Marvel, the podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel Ooh. movie or TV show and then quizzes a second comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read using Marvel comics. It is the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience brought to you by two idiots. My name is Rob Halton. <laughs> I am the uh, host, uh, one of the hosts. Wait, what am I? I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert on this show. And a lovely and fella. Isn't the Marvel expert, the man that's powered by ignorance, um, joins us now as well, Mr. Will Preston. Hello, Will. I, I take that back. You're not a lovely fella. You keep insulting me each time. <laughs> this show is driven by your ignorance. Driven, driven, powered. taxied, ferried around by ignorance, if you will, because that's how <laughs> middle class I am. What a show we've got for you today. We're both pipping yes. and popping this one. We're, it's the first time in 2024, me and neither of us have been <laughs> ill whilst recording a podcast. So, so, um, this is very exciting. Coming up on today's episode, we'll go behind the scenes on the long journey of getting Thor onto the silver screen and the making of what is apparently the most important MCU movie of Phase 1. We'll take you behind the page to look at the creation of Thor in the 1960s and the classic superhero he is directly ripping off. We'll explore the creation of Mjolnir. The history, you like that one? Mjolnir? I, I, the history I, I, you did well, the, you did well. The history of Thor and Loki, the most powerful force in Asgard, the destruction of the Bifrost, the most twisted evil things Loki has ever done, and the time that Thor's greatest enemy lifted his hammer. I didn't fancy doing Mjolnir again a second time, I switched Mjolnir. it to hammer. It sounds like you're eating uh, marmalade. When you do yum yum. Man, I'm so thrilled to do this one. This is our phase one remastered project to catch yeah. you up. We started this podcast a long time ago. It was just a thing we never expect anyone to listen to. We rattled our way when we didn't know each other or how to make a podcast. We rattled our way through all of phase one of the MCU. And then we went, oh, let's keep going. And then several years later, we went, hmm, <laughs> those old shows sound like we recorded them on a potato. I mean, and no, also, yeah, we, or didn't pretty much. Have a, we didn't have a structure or a format or anything, really. Um, they were not packed with tons of behind-the-scenes stuff and behind-the-page stuff. and they, they, they were just two fools fumbling around. <laughs> and now we're old pros. Um, with awards that we've done one for this podcast. I know, it's mad. I, I, when we first started, I was like, we're not good at this. I don't think we're... we're well, we weren't. That's the important bit. <laughs> you were not wrong, sir. We, 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 we grew. It's our personal journey. It's last cool. year, we started our Phase 1 remastered project so that me and Will can go back to those very important movies that we, we kind of covered, but not quite, and do it properly. And yes. say, if we were to approach... Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Cap, The Avengers. If we were to approach that now today, learning everything we know about podcasting and, and how to uh, and, and what you guys want to listen to. We know you like long-form podcasts and lots of trivia and history. How would we do it? And this is how. We've had great success with um, Iron Man's 1 and 2 and The Incredible Hulk. And this year, we're going to finish off Phase 1 um, mm. of our remastered project. And we start that right now in January with the Mighty Thor. It's not called the Mighty Thor, it's just called Thor, isn't it? It's just Sorry. Thor. It's just It's a shame. There's a good opportunity, like, because we had the Incredible Hulk. That was a good, you know, we've got Captain America First Avenger. 
We haven't got the Invincible Iron Man, though, have we? We just got we got Iron Man. I, um, Iron Man's th- enough. Iron Man is enough. And Thor, and this was, we'll get into it, a, a, a movie I didn't love at the time when it came out, 2011. Didn't love it. I, um, I was ambivalent. I was like, eh, it's fine. And so it's really, I had a different experience watching it this time. I think my opinion, I don't think I, here's what happened. I don't think I rewatched the movie when we started this podcast. Oh, so I when think we, I when, skipped when, it. When we did the Thor episode, you just yeah. went from memory. Uh, well, I, I was really, uh, back then I wasn't really talking about the <laughs> film. I don't think, I think I was talking more about just, I'm doing the comics, I'm doing the comics, I'm doing the comics. So I don't think I, I don't, yeah, I just didn't think it was necessary and I didn't rewatch it because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having done that now, I think this is the first time I've rewatched it, maybe since 2011. I must have watched it in between, but this is the first time I've given it a proper good watch. Different experience, so I'm really pleased, we're excited we're going to be doing that. Um, lots of cool things to come in 2024 as we discussed our last episode but something to let you guys know about if you missed our last deep dive which was into the um, peculiar 2015 entry in the Fantastic Four (laughs) saga the debacle the Fox's latest debacle as I like to call it I think Um, peculiar is the most charitable word to describe it that anyone's ever used (laughs) if you missed that one uh, we need to let you know that the sound of the podcast is going to change um, adverts are going to start appearing on our shows. Um, and we want to be upfront with you guys about that. This podcast for the last couple of years has been fully supported by the wonderful listeners who join us on Patreon and pledge every month. They they pledge money towards the show. In exchange, we give them brilliant bonus content, bonus episodes. There's short bonus episodes and there's really long kind of hour and a half, two hour long bonus episodes. Um and that's what has been sustaining this show. Mm. I don't know if you know this, folks, but these episodes are long. They take me and Will each days and days to put <laughs> into the research, the writing, the watching, the viewing, the reading. It, it, it takes a big chunk of our week. We both don't do this for a living. We have to fit it in around actual paying work, <laughs> life, <laughs> family commitments and life as well. Mm. And, and, there's a tipping point at which point if we if we can't if it isn't worth our it, worth our while sounds mercenary at some point something has to give right mm. what's happened recently is because of multiple wars and energy crises across the globe it's affected everyone everyone's feeling the pinch yep. we've had a, a dip in our patreon pledges significant dip and everyone's reached out as they've left and they've said to us you know patreon gives everyone an exit interview and everyone has said really sorry lads it's because uh, this has gone up. That's gone up. This is happening. I, I wish I could carry on supporting you, but I just my financial situation has changed. We understand that, so we're turning to adverts to hopefully bring some different kind of money in, and and maybe that will help. Um, so adverts are going to uh, arrive and and happen in the show. And it will change the your listening experience. You might not like that. There's always a skip button. <laughs> and, it, and if you don't like the skip button because you're on the treadmill, you're at the gym, you're doing, you're, you're in the car, whatever, you can avoid adverts by heading to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, where new episodes are released completely ad-free 
and they're released early as well. You're going to get them on a Friday instead of having to wait all the way to Monday. So that's the way around it. That's what's happening. That's why it's happening. Um, but anyway, we're going to blast through and deliver more um, amazing MVM content. Um, so uh, strap in for that. Marvel versus Marvel is about the two sides of the coin, the yin and the yang as we talk about. I come to movies with an inherent kind of like knowledge and familiarity with characters and stories. And sometimes that lets me enjoy movies more and sometimes enjoy movies less. And it's why Will Preston is so important to this podcast. Because Will views things for the first time with a soft... Unformed baby like mind. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can tell he writes for TV at times because he, he, he finds a new way to approach the same situation and goes, No. I'm gonna go, Will Whoa. represents the majority of the audience out there. Not a thought going on. And then in, in, in that way, we get to explore how these movies um, appealed to the general audience, the mass audience, and to. Uh, this niche of people that have read the comics. Will, let's step into your mind now, the mind of a muggle. 2011, this yes. movie's coming out. Um, you are all about Batman at this time. I am, but I did see Iron Man 1 and 2. And you skipped uh, the Hulk, though. I skipped the Hulk. Uh, I didn't bother with this or Captain America or Avengers in the cinema, which I regret. Wow. Because, uh, but it was only um, someone telling me, people going, oh, by the way, they're doing these films. They're going to lead up to a crossover thing. It's going to be the, the first time this ever happened. And I was just like, oh, that sounds cool. I like that. But I don't really know these characters. So uh, my stake isn't in it. I don't have so, a stake so in bef- this. I before, don't before that happened and this idea of continuity, connectivity, shared universe was, was said to you, Thor didn't hold an appeal. When, do you remember? Do you remember the, the trailers? Do you remember the you know the promotion of it coming out and things? I vaguely remember the promotion. I don't think I saw too much of the promotion because I think 2011 around that time I wasn't going to the cinema as much. Mm. I was just graduating from university and living life a bit on the cheap. Um, yeah, but I I just remember hearing about it and and just thinking, oh, it's kind of Lord of the Ringsy fantasy epic. It's like ah, probably not for me. I know it's based on a comic book uh, that's based on uh, Norse mythology, but I'm just like, ah, it's not for me. Yeah. I, 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 I like, yeah. I don't know what else Is to say. Is fantasy not for you in general? I, I'm a weird guy. I say fantasy's not for me in general, but I absolutely love Lord of the Rings. I really enjoyed playing Skyrim. There's some things I like. It's like the same way, in a similar way, I say I'm not a horror fan, yet some of my most favorite films of all time are horrors. And I'm starting yeah. to watch more and more horrors. Yeah, that's interesting. Like Lord of the Rings is like the the great. I mean, that it, that's stunning. that's almost like there are people that don't like sci fi, but they have enjoyed the Star Wars. Star yes, Wars, well, the main, we're not the three the, the three big Star Wars movies, <laughs> because like sometimes it's just the most famous and also the best of them. It's how it's presented. It's how it's presented. If it's presented yeah. in a way that everyone, anyone, everyone can enjoy it, then yeah, it's <clears> fine. <throat> it transcends uh, boundaries uh, depending on your tastes. You Did will. it strike any note of? Interest in you that this is a fantasy thing, but it's by Marvel Comics who did Iron Man and Hulk and stuff. Was that did that feel like a disconnect or an interesting thing, or did it not even it did not even kind of like 
strike a chord it struck a little chord i was like oh it's done by the same people who do spider-man and stuff okay that's interesting but i know what you know about like so many superhero stuff where it's like yes we've got these mythological people and fantasy stuff that kind of intertwines but kind of allows us to play around with different genres and i just thought okay that's cool but again (laughs) not for me i don't think sure so when did you get around to first seeing this then? Was it, you didn't see it at the cinema? Did you catch it on, uh, did you buy a DVD? Was it at a house party? It was a big way I watched movies at, no, during that I, time I, you're talking of. Lots of house parties and stuff or uh, TV or... I barely do, ha- I've barely done house parties where you watch films, but I just got round to it, I think. I think I rented it or it was on Netflix or something. Uh, I think what got me to watch it was a friend of mine, Tim Shelton, very funny guy. He's not a comedian, but bloody hell, he should have been. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he's the one who got me onto the Avengers films because he told me bits. But he told me about Thor. He told me about the scene where they're in the coffee shop where he goes, ah, this drink, I like it, smash, another. And I'm like, that sounds brilliant. I want to see this because it's not <laughs> really? just fantasy. It's a fish out of water comedy stuff going on. And I was like, no, that sounds like my cup of tea. That like is what that. struck me on this rewatch of this movie is just how close... This felt to like an eighties and nineties fish out high concept yes. fish out of water yes. movie. It does. You know, you're talking about your um, what do they call it in America? Encino man, California man to the rest of us. I was about to say um, it's a Brendan. It's a Brendan Fraser thing, like uh, George of the Jungle and Encino man. You know, he's done those things yeah, where he plays. Or, or, or even know. even when they did the um, the the modern Tarzan movie, even yeah. Crocodile Dundee. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is the fish out of water. Um, there's a Beastmaster movie where Beastmaster comes to the modern day and stuff. And it's uh, it happening in Masters of the Universe movie, the He-Man yes. movie. That's because um, they probably didn't have enough budget to do Eternia. And, and it, well, they do Eternia at the start. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, maybe maybe it's never been bettered than when they do um, the Star Trek, um, oh, the when they come home. to the modern day, which yes. is just Leonard Nimoy directed it. Which one is that? It's called... It's number four, um, The Journey Home. Journey Home. Yeah, it's a superb <clears throat> and film. It's just packed with laughs mm. as they experience 1980s New York. Um, I thought it was San Francisco. Okay, maybe it's San Francisco. It doesn't really matter, does it? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And, and that's just a... So, so that it had... It didn't have enough of that... I don't know. Because it wasn't... Yeah. It, it's difficult because it wasn't trying to be a comedy comedy. Um, it was straddling. It was straddling I would have liked a bit more of it... Yeah, stuff and and trying to straddle this fish out of water thing, which I admire. <clears throat> it's ambitious to straddle those two things because one's very serious and the other is. Hey, hey, look at this guy. He doesn't. He doesn't know how a horse works or whatever. You know, like yeah, supposed to get somewhere. You do wonder whether you could have had the first movie all in Asgard introducing stuff, and then the fish out of water sequel makes means a bit more because you've seen. A Lord of the Rings type movie. Yes. Like yes. if you had a movie where I don't know Aragorn in the in the next movie is in modern day New Mexico or whatever, and how that would be odd. <clears throat> but I get you. So, what was your takeaway when you first saw the movie? I thought, uh, what's what do I think? I, I think my main takeaway, and I think it's still what I think now, even though I, I it, my opinion of it has has gone up uh, since this rewatch. I think there wasn't enough superheroing in it, but there was enough to keep me fairly entertained. Mm. I was like, I, I liked the whole uh, setup of Asgard, Sasha Pauly's characters. Very good casting, by the way, which I will get onto. Very good casting, and 
it felt good. But then you got to the things with New Mexico and him trying to get his hammer back and him being mortal. And it felt like, uh, <laughs> how do I say this without sounding too ignorant, if you will? It felt like they used this small New Mexico town because they were restrained by a budget. It felt like, oh, we've got to use this small oh, town. Oh, right. Nothing too big. Like if it had happened York. in a big city, it would yeah, have, it would have um, been, been a better. bit more impressive. But it's like, it's fine. Because like, I understand this was the early days. You, you can't exactly push the boat out too much because uh, you're still figuring it out, especially, you know, with phase one. But, I th- you know, it it was fine. It worked. Enough was there to, to keep me entertained. And should, did you watch this in a spout of, of kind of going... Like, you, your friend told you about how these movies were interconnected and that made you want to go and watch them. Did you watch it in a bout of going, oh, I'm going to watch Thor and then I'm going to watch Hulk and then Cap and then or I, Is that I, not how it happened? I was really cherry-picking, I think. I didn't watch... I think I watched Cap uh, at some point as well because I thought, hey, he fights Nazis. I like that. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I like that aspect. With Thor, it wasn't. <coughs> I wasn't to appeal so much, but enough uh, was said to make me go, oh, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to check it out. It's fine. Because I and like you watch them, stuff. As in, did you watch them on your way to the Avengers, is what I mean? Or did you just watch <sighs> this and then put it away and didn't think about Marvel movies and then later watch that cap and then... I might have watched the Avengers first. I'm not sure, which would have right. been really oh, That would be very different. Because yeah. that would give you a very different perspective on this movie. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm trying to. This is basically me trying to recall 2012 yeah. <laughs> and stuff, and I can't. I can't think because I was going for a very weird year. But uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm trying to remember the past. <laughs> Let's take a trip behind the scenes now to examine how this movie came together, came about, um, and the the long journey. Um, that gets us to Thor on the screen. Um, Will, you are, as we all know, Mr. <laughs> Hollywood. You dive into the trash cans of that said locale. You dumpster dive throughout Hollywood to bring us the dirt, the muck <laughs> and the mire, the rumours, the gossip, the interviews, the figures. The figures. The numbers. Oh, God. Well, I think... Considering we're remastering Phase 1, it's always good to get an idea of how the progress with Phase 1 is going. So let's go through and make sense of the dollars and cents of the first four films, with Thor at the end, four Thor, uh, uh, with, first of all, 2008 Iron Man. We had a production budget of $186 million. Opening weekend, $102.1 million, $102. million uh, with a domestic box office of uh, $318.6 million international really, box. Sorry. Really big, really, that opening weekend is like shows really big um, in, initial interest in this movie. Like that, that opening weekend shows you the marketing team did a very good job. People wanted to come and see this. There was a lot of interest. That's over half the production budget, which was a pretty good production budget. So, yeah, definitely. International Although none bu- of that goes towards the production budget, unfortunately. Oh, damn it. It has uh, to all go towards the PR and the marketing. The, the distributor gets that first. <laughs> Uh, international box office was two hundred and sixty-six point five million, bringing worldwide box office of five hundred eighty-five point one million dollars. Also on top of that, one hundred ninety-eight point four million dollars in total estimated domestic video sales. So yes, the very the loss, start. the loss of DVD sales was a <laughs> a stupid and cruel blow to the industry. One hundred ninety-eight yeah. additional dollarinos. 
that's in why they're video sales. That's why they're clinging to the Chinese market. We need do you, you think, to make up the DVD sales. Do you think a movie now is going to get 198 million from Netflix to show it <laughs> to you <laughs> for a fraction of nine quid? No. <laughs> Oh, that's tickled me. Oh, that, that, we had and, another and, movie the same year. I know, I know. It's, it's just tickled me. Oh, the same year we had another film. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, with production budget slightly less of $137.5 million. Opening weekend, $55.4 million. Domestic box office, I know, I know. That opening weekend's not great. Not great. It? That's, half, that, that's, that's, that's kind of saying half the interest of Iron Man. After Iron having Man. Iron Man, and with Incredible Hulk, which is a... A concrete property, a proven property Conc- with that, the television. Concrete know? property, but the previous Hulk diminished interest, and yeah. there was almost no marketing <clears throat> for the Incredible Hulk. This passed me by like a silent submarine, if you will. When you, I mean, unless you've got something on paper that says there was almost no marketing for the Incredible Hulk, I think I, I, it's it's great to say I didn't see any adverts for it, but it's it's a bit you know. Okay, I said the wrong but, thing, Rob. You happy? Yeah. I said the wrong well, thing. I admit well, because it. We're, we're dealing with a lot of facts here, and for you to then oh. say there was no like that's, that's a bit of a. I, I'm sorry, I forgot. My subjectivity isn't objective. Oh, not when you're Mr. Hollywood. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, domestic box office for the Incredible Hulk: 134.8 million. International box office: 130.7 million, bringing a worldwide box office of 265.5 million. It paid paid the uh, production budget back, I guess, and, but not great. No, it didn't. Mm. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have done because whatever they like, like oh, it, it would. They, there's something weird that it's like half the production budget, or, or or something in that region ends up being what you spend the distributor spends on promotion and marketing. Mm. So, of that worldwide box office, two hundred and sixty-five, then you could probably take, you know, nearly nearly. Uh, 60, 17, you know, kind of million goes to PR marketing or something like that, yeah. or 100 million maybe. That's that's rough. At least it's not a bomb. Total estimated domestic video sales were $80.2 million. Not too bad, I guess, but so much less than the other films, uh, than the next than the next film and the first film. Iron Man. That, that, that kind of shows, I don't know what that shows. Um what do you think? Yeah, because I guess if a movie is not popular at the box office, there will naturally be less interest in the video, wouldn't there? So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get that. Iron Man 2, 2010, production budget, $170 million. Opening weekend, $128.1 million. So, again, doing well. Domestic box office, $312.4 million. International box office, $308.7 million, bringing worldwide box office of... $621.1 million, with $186.4 million in total estimated domestic video sales. This in- has done well. Interesting that it was like less popular than the first Iron Man movie hmm. in North America, but, but much more popular um, in, in the international market. That was interesting. Yeah, I I don't know what to think of that. I think uh, Because uh, everyone is so critical about the second Iron Man film, and I'm always puzzled by it. But to be honest, as we've always said, if if the previous film is good enough, then all the, the success will wash over into the ticket sales of the next film, as we saw with Iron Man 3 after the <coughs> Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us on, Rob, to Thor 2011. Production budget, $150 million. Opening weekend, 
65.7 million. So the, not, that doesn't show a huge amount of interest. No, me. no, no. I mean, too, too much fantasy. So, too much fantasy. It, a, a little better than, than Hulk, but that, that, mm. that kind of that's a bad indicator that you're on for uh, maybe a rough, maybe a rough less than 300 million movie. Yeah, the uh, domestic box office for that was 181 million, uh, with an international box office of 268 million. Uh, worldwide box office four hundred forty nine point three million. God, so it look at did that well. in that what that international yep. box office is massive. Hulk did not have that. I think I think Scandinavia ticket sales held that up, <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe Australian as well. Austra- oh, yeah, of course. He, was it Home and Away? He used to be in I, when I was looking looking up the notes oh, on this. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah used to, I, I used to when I was when I was a kid. I used to watch that as we yeah. discussed on this podcast once at a time. Um, <laughs> it used to be a, a thing that me and my sister would watch after school, um, but and then Home and Away a little bit. Yeah, um, because that was also one, and I fancied Danny Minogue more than Kylie Minogue. Oh. Um, oh yeah, but the then I'd, 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 been, I'd not been watching in quite some time. By the time because Margaret Robbie was the same, um, yep. she came through that 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 system. They all they all they've all come through there. It's like it's uh, like Saturday Night actors. Live for Australians. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I think it's more like Coronation Street Coronation. for Australians. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, like in terms of like generating international stars and stuff. Uh, That's true. Actually, machine. you're very right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Uh, in case I didn't mention it, Thor had total estimated domestic video sales of 95 million. So better than Incredible Hulk, but nowhere as good as Iron Man. Can't can't for, beat for that Tony no, Stark cash, but can that, you? That worldwide box office, based mm. that, that international box office, yeah. that was just um, I didn't realize just how much more popular it was. So domestic box office 181 million, international mm. 268. Yes, man, that's absolutely mad. And I don't think they'd kind of um, opened up any new territories in in that in between. You know, from 08 to 2011. What what then can you tell us, Mister Hollywood, um, yes. about? The making of this movie. The long, long production history of this film. Well, not too long, actually. First of all, let's go back to the <coughs> 90s. Sam Raimi became interested in making a Marvel Thor movie after making Darkman in 1990. Have you... So, um, I'm assuming you've seen Darkman. It's great. I loved it. So people don't, don't know, Darkman is... Sam Raimi wanted to make The Phantom. Mm. No, The Shadow. Yeah. He wanted to make The Shadow, who's an old pulp. Um, hero and one of the early influences on Batman um, couldn't get the negotiate the rights to this this um, old pulp character who has kind of weird powers but murders bad guys and stuff mm. like that and so decided to create his his own um, and it was a you know more money than Evil Dead but it was a kind of a, a low budget movie yeah. and it's uh, Liam Neeson in the role. And he had a, he had a great time making it, and I had a great time watching it at several drunken house movies in my youth. A great fun film. Oh, what's that line we just goes? Take the bunny, take the bunny. <laughs> oh, like, I don't remember. Oh, I can't remember. There's, there's a bit that's when someone else kept quoting it. Be going, just take the bunny, just take the bunny. And then there is a sequel called Die, Dark Man, Die. Yeah, I, I didn't pay attention to sequels, but also Francis McDormand uh, in that as well as the love interest yeah. before winning the Oscar in Fargo. For Fargo, yeah. another good film. Anyway, back to Thor. So. Sam Raimi met Thor co-creator Stan Lee in the 90s and pitched the concept to 20th Century Fox. But, however, they did not understand it. Speaking about the failed pitch, Raimi said, It was thrilling to be with Stan Lee and hysterical the way that we had to explain who Thor was to executives. Walking out of there going, we didn't get it. They think there's going to be some Hercules movie or something. 
Well, I, I mean, that, that's kind of like, that makes perfect sense for a production company to think it's going to be a Hercules. It does. Kind of a sword and sandals Hercules movie. Yeah. Um, but interesting that we, you know, a decade before we get Spider-Man, the movie that really, really changes, eh, X-Men changes a lot of things, but Spider-Man is like mm. the, the big one, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Sam Raimi was kind of involved in another Marvel um, character. He's, um, he's, he's, he's He knows his comic book. He knows his eggs in terms of comic books. So Thor was abandoned. Oh, he knows his onions. <laughs> Look, I'm powered not, by ignorance, not, and you're correcting me. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm Mr. Hollywood right now, aren't I? I'm, I have to be correct, apparently. Only uh, about movies. He can be wrong about idioms. That guy really knows his eggs. He knows his eggs. Scrambled, poached, <laughs> fried. Scrambled, poached. Those are the only two kinds of eggs. Uh, Thor was abandoned till April 1997, when Marvel Studios was beginning to expand rapidly. The film gained momentum after the success of X-Men in 2000. The plan was for Thor to be made for television. UPN was in talks of airing it, excited by the prospect. They pushed for a script and approached Tyler Maine to play Thor. Jesus. In case, in case you didn't know, or forgot, <coughs> Tyler Maine previously played Sabretooth in X-Men. He, he played him in, is it one or two movies? And he just doesn't, he, he, he says one word. It's like a Boba Fett role. Yeah. It's he's, just a guy that says, yeah, and that's it. He might as well be Richard Keel in The Spy Who Loved Me playing Jaws. You know what I mean? That kind of silent but big character. I'd say Richard Keel does way more acting, like facial-wise. Oh, like facial wise Yes, and, uh, yes. Tyler Maine is like a stuntman, a glorified <laughs> stuntman in this movie. Sorry, Richard um, Keel, for, for dragging your good name down. Both uh, uh, yeah. wrestled. Just to, There's a connection between Richard Keel and Tyler Maine there. Does not Tyler Maine used to be a wrestler. And in Britain... Uh, in the 80s, I guess, and maybe into the 90s, Richard Keel would be brought in by, like, you know, the, the company did, like, Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and stuff, <laughs> joint promotions. And uh, he'd be brought in as Jaws. Yes, He'd be advertised as Jaws. Yes. And all the kids, and the goes, oh, no, it's Jaws coming to the ring. And he'd bite through stuff and yeah. grab people and, yeah. Jaws was a, such like a, a scary... Frankenstein dude. Jaws yeah. was such a scary Bond character. It was when, unlike any other... When he, he, he bites that woman to death by the pyramids. Yeah. Inspired. Oh, my God. That is just it's awful. Brutal. But you don't, yeah. you don't, you're always not all gruesome, but, yeah, you get the idea. And then he gets a happy ending on the moon. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Jules the... shouldn't have a girlfriend, Moonraker, you abortion <laughs> of a movie. It is a very odd movie. Anyway, <laughs> in May 2000, Marvel Studios reached a deal with Artisan Entertainment. By which the two- oh, this is one of my fa- this is my favorite. First of all, um, before we move on to that to Artisan, which is a, a detail we've looked at before, um, how would how, how does it grab you to think like a, a, a late nineties TV movie version of <laughs> Thor? Well, funnily enough, not to bring up the Hercules thing again, but it would be like that same kind of quality as Hercules. Yeah, the Adventures of Hercules. Who's that guy who played him? Who's now gone gone off the rails online? Um, Kevin Sorbo. It's Kevin Sorbo, who I, I always remember that by thinking of a sorbet. Genuinely, how I do it. I go, it's Kevin something, and then an image of a little, a little lemonade, lemon sorbet appears. Around we got it's Kevin. We got Kevin Fig and Kevin Sorbet. And do you know who played young Hercules in the series? Who? Ryan Gosling. No. Yes. There you go. Oh, incredible! Uh, it stuff. might have only been in one episode or two episodes, or whatever. But yeah. Anyway. The uh, the two companies would co-produce a series of low to mid budget movies. 
Artisan would finance the films and Marvel's investment in the projects would be letting Artisan use their characters and stories for free. That represents a massive investment. Like, because yeah. if you, uh, when Sony wanted to use Spider-Man, mm. they have to pay Marvel mm. multiple millions and, you know, give them X amount percentage of the whatever. That's trust. The joint venture included the rights to 15 Marvel characters, including Captain America, the Black Panther, Iron Fist, Deadpool, and Thor, many of which would become direct-to-DVD or even TV movies. Of these potential projects, only The Punisher and Man-Thing were produced. We've covered both those movies. We um, have. And they are very they are in that kind of low-budget low to mid budget kind of mid budget they are low budget mm, movies man thing um, even more so jeez yeah can you imagine a, uh, a an early 2000s directed dvd thor movie low budget i imagine it being worse even though i liked we liked it but just worse than uh, that incredible hulk uh, return of the incredible hulk where thor pops up I reckon it would would have been worse than that. I don't know. I mean, there's 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 a lot to be said about those old Incredible Hulk, the the style of them where they feel like a Columbo, <laughs> like but with but if Columbo turned into the Hulk in the middle. Um, <laughs> Just one more thing. Don't make me angry. <laughs> I, I think I don't know. I, I I think you're 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 spot on with that idea that even in the 2000s it would have felt like Xena or Hercules. Yeah, we didn't have a lot yeah. of money. Would have they'd have to go and shoot it in New Zealand? They'd yep. have to. Yep. That mm. Asgard would just be New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just, we've we've built some huts and a stone castle and made it look a bit more colourful with with the green screen and whatnot. But that's all we're doing. Maybe it would have very much been like a crocodile Dundee style fish out of water type movie. You know, to save on money. To yeah, save on you, money. You, that's you that's a, why you do it. You shoot a little bit in New Zealand to be to be Asgard, and then. You go and you shoot in some Newfoundland and pretend it's Manhattan or something. Yeah, or Wales. Anyway, <laughs> Sony Pictures Entertainment finally purchased the rights to Thor. And in December 2004, David S. Goyer was in negotiations to write and direct. At the time, Goyer was known for his work on the Blade trilogy and the 90s Nick Fury TV movie, as well as writing the Justice Society comics for DC. By 2005, there were talks between Goyer and Marvel, Goya was no longer interested, though at this point the film was still set to be distributed through Sony Pictures. I was a big fan of um, David S. Goya's Justice Society comics mm. that he did with Jeff Johns in the 2000s. They were really smart, and I always felt conflicted about him because I really liked Blade. Yeah. Um, but then his other stuff was like <laughs> Blade, the third one, which is awful. With yeah. new metal Dracula and <laughs> the the Nick Fury, it was it was a weird. It was a yeah. like whenever he because he's been attached to and and he's gone on to write everything mm. in terms of superhero stuff. He's he didn't he write all the Batman, all the Nolan Batman movies. I think so. If I, the, the, that name has popped up when we've talked and then about he's, that but before, he also yeah. wrote Man of Steel and <sighs> Justice. All, the, all these, all these, to my it's mind, just, terrible. It's, it's just, it's, just him and Jeff Loeb have this bizarre quality of making the best and the worst. Just writes, yeah, yeah. He'll just write anything. It seems. <laughs> yeah, like Nicolas Cage, uh, screenwriter Mark Protosevich, a fan of the Thor comic book. Protosevich. 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 Yeah. Uh, okay, Protosevich. Okay. He agreed to write the script in April 2006, and the project moved to Paramount Pictures after it acquired the rights from Sony. 
At the time, Protosevich had written psychological thriller The Cell and the failed disaster blockbuster remake Poseidon. The Cell is Jennifer Lopez movie. It is, um, yeah. Is, is it, it was, supposed to be like a psychological horror thriller sort of thing? Or? says right before it on your notes there, psychological thriller The Cell. So I'd imagine so. Yeah, I kind of glanced <laughs> over that. But, uh, the Cell, yeah. Uh, the trailer so- for her new movie has just come out and it is looks insane. Um, as in it's insanely it's, bad or insanely good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Jennifer Lopez movie that she apparently has written and created, mm. and maybe directed. It's a musical, and the, you know when it when it when it like a, a normal movie would say like from the people that directed <laughs> or from the mind of so and so. This one says from the soul of Jennifer Lopez, no, and no. I'm just fully expecting a, a, a really insane movie by a very rich woman. That PR person. <laughs> was really really having a good day there i imagine it's just her i imagine oh, she's in, no. like i imagine it's a real auteur like you know when yeah. people get so rich they can be an auteur when they shouldn't yeah I, I'm, I, I'm strongly thinking it's going to be like that so yeah. I'm, I'm thinking maybe showgirls level of debauched nonsense i never saw poseidon but i saw the original the poseidon adventure with gene hackman i think the poseidon that move that remake had ken uh kurt russell Anyway, in December 2007, Protozovich described his plans for the movie to be like a superhero origin story, but not one about a human gaining superpowers, but of a god realizing his true potential. It's the story of an Old Testament god who becomes a New Testament god. That's quite an interesting uh, take on it. I like that take because it's like, ah, fire and brimstone and hey, let's be nice. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe my reckless actions shouldn't cause people to die. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to get eaten by a whale. I don't like the way you talk to me. (laughs) God, in the Old Testament, is kind of like a mafia boss. He's he's, going to have something. He'll have you sleeping with the fishes. In the fishes. Not to be disrespectful or blasphemous, but he's clearly the antagonist. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. In uh, August 2007, Marvel Studios signed producer-director Matthew Vaughn to direct the film. Do we do we have to take bets on how long it takes until he runs away from the project? <laughs> yeah, he's like that, isn't he? He he was so Matthew Vaughn had only done layer cake at this point in terms yeah. of the director. Yeah, and everyone was after him. I don't know why. Because he'd been a producer for many years. Right, there he goes. He's always got his so foot in the game. He'd produced Lockstock and helped it make a lot of money yeah. and, a, and some other and then he produced and directed layer cake now with marvel studios they are brand new mm. so as we'll see with kenneth branner they you a director is trying to corral a circus of monkeys <laughs> right <laughs> But they are really mainly focused on performance and lighting and things like that. You need a very good producer, mm. a strong producer, to keep the ship righted. Yep. So having someone that has been a strong producer and can direct is very appealing to a lot of studios, which is why I think even though he'd only had that one directorial movie at this point, Matthew Vaughan is probably very appealing. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, it, it it just sounds like he's already sort of skin in the game and knows the industry and it's like uh, you know what I'll, I, I think I could direct I think I could yeah. direct yeah. yeah Vaughan then rewrote uh, Protosevich's script in order to bring down the budget to 150 million as Protosevich's uh, first draft would have cost 300 million dollars to produce 
Right, so that is immediately Matthew Vaughan thinking like a producer. Yes, He's looked exactly. at that script, and instead of going, this is going to look cool, this is going to be great performances, he's gone, it. Oh, sorry, can you put a bleep down there? I also I put, put a bleep when you said Massively the S word earlier, don't worry. Did I already do that? Yeah, man, you're, you're, see, you're a sailor today, on. you're an absolute sailor. Uh, maybe it's because we had some time off or something, I don't know. Uh, I think <laughs> Matthew Vaughan... Um, yes, looked at that budget and went, flipping heck, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, Crikey. let's alter this script so we can actually make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, in March 2011, Vaughan said, we're in a holding pattern at the moment. It's up to Marvel. They have to decide if they want to make the movie and then we take it from there. The main role is going to be played by someone totally unknown. It can't be a star. It's got to be someone totally Unknown. Why do you sound unhinged then? I laugh when you repeat it. Because it's Matthew Vaughan. <laughs> well, it's got to be someone unknown. It's, it's got to be someone totally unknown. He said the phrase twice, so I think he, if someone does that, I assume no, it's they're unhinged. Conversational. No, he's unhinged. He's Matthew Vaughan. He runs away from film projects and makes okay films. He's okay, a, I want you to start start the quote from the beginning, but this time be very unhinged. <laughs> No. Oh, oh, okay. I, if we were in a live audience, I would ask Robbie to do it. Anyway, I'll do it unhinged. We're in a holding <laughs> pattern at the moment. It's okay, that's to, all you have to okay, do. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah, so that's fine. That's fine. Anyway, as we said, as he said, it's got to be totally unknown. Got to be totally unknown. We're talking someone who doesn't even know they exist. Anyway, Thor, the comic book, is well known for his overly lyrical dialogue and slightly ridiculous garb, which Stop. works well on the page. <laughs> But how will it translate to the big screen? Stop hiring these people to make superhero movies. <laughs> you can't. You can't. What are you talking about? You're Could, saying Thor should wear a leather coat. That, That's no, no, what you're saying. I was, Jeans I was, and some boots. No, he needs to wear uh, ec- the leather X-Men. Uh, That's what they want. That's what they, they, all these they people all want. want. They keep hiring people that don't like superheroes to make superhero movies. <laughs> well, they didn't because they didn't hire this guy. But well, obviously, imagine if they went, yeah, it'd be ridiculous if he looked like a, you know, a Asgardian god or a superhero in this movie. Get rid of it. I think Spider-Man have... should just wear a t-shirt with a spider on it and jeans. Actually, no. Do you know that first Spider-Man costume in the in the, in the, the first Sam Raimi film? Yeah, it's fine. Don't even put the spandex on. Just put the hoodie and the goggles on. Make oh, like that no... one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So I think you have to respect it. That is a comic book and silly, to be frank. So you have to combine oh that with God. a modern style and I'm hopefully come up with something Matthew fresh. And I think we can come up with something special. I think you're going to get fired, you loser. I mean, Kirkass, the costumes in that were silly. But then again, that was just the, him follow, actually following the source material to a degree. Mm. Vaughn was released when his holding deal expired in May 2008. Good. Good going off there to do some mid- middling films later, at which point Marvel set Protosevich to work on a new draft and began searching for a new director. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Guillermo del Toro entered talks to direct the film. Del Toro was a fan of Jack Kirby's work on the comics and said that he loved the character of Loki, but wished to incorporate more of the original Norse mythology into the film, including a really dingy Valhalla with Vikings and mud. However... Del Toro ultimately turned down Thor to direct The Hobbit. That's a real shame. We've had close calls with Del Toro a couple of times, and every yes. time I go, yes. I really wish I would have seen his vision of that. I think it would have been really interesting. It's, if if I had some way of like you know doing a multiverse thing, I'd just go to like to go to the multiverse where 
del toro or different ones where del toro directed films that have already been made that i like just so i could see what he would have done with it just so i could see the visuals he would have what come a up use with. of the multiverse <laughs> I, I think that's a I very... I visit uh, oh, my dead oh, relatives, sorry. but there you I'm, go. That's, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to use the multiverse to change things around and bring back Kang. No, I'm going to use the multiverse to see what would it be like if Del Toro directed <laughs> uh, Rain movies. Man. Different <laughs> versions of a movie I've already seen. I just want to see Del. I just want to see Del Toro direct Rain Man. I don't know. Anyway, by December, by December 2008, uh, Kenneth Branagh confirmed that he had been hired to direct the Thor movie. This is always the thing that I always found surprising when you look at it and go, oh my God, Kenneth Branagh directed this. Because, you know, yeah. he's, a, he's Shakespearean. Anyway, speaking about the ideas of the film, Branagh, a fan of the comic book since he was a child, said, growing up, my single comic book passion was Thor. From my time in Belfast as a kid, that's the first time I came across that comic. Really, exclusively. I just don't know why, but it struck a chord. I was drawn to it. I liked all the dynastic drama dynastic dynastic with the film there's science fiction and science fact and fantasy all woven into one it's based on Norse legends which Marvel sort of raided in a brilliant way it's a chance to tell a big story on a big scale it's a human story right in the centre of a big epic scenario I, I watched um, a, a, a several uh, Kenneth Branagh interviews from around this time mm. he knows his comics that's he's referencing. So he's referencing all the important runs from Walt Simonson to J. Michael Straczynski, the Babylon Five guy, um, to the modern stuff. With uh, he's just boom, 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 boom. He he he, he has clearly. I'm, I'm sure he he probably did like the, the character when he was a kid, but he approached this. I imagine like he would, you know. One of the Shakespeare's, you know your text. Know your text. And, and he really... And he also talked about the editing process and how they had a visual... Um, like a visual map for the, mm. for the for what they wanted things to look at. So they, they there were certain shots that they said, oh, that low-angle shot of Asgard is from this artist from the 80s. And that you know, so oh, not to directly, not not to yes. not to like create, not to just kind of like recreate stuff. But and it's not always, but it's throughout there. It's a visual language. And he said, but it, in along with architecture, and mm. and he also mentioned the uh, opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. He said that had an inspiration on me for how I wanted Asgard to look. And yeah. so yeah, but but he knew his he knew his source material. I get that. Oh, I remember the opening ceremony for the Beijing Olympics? It was. Crazy. Do you remember, do you I remember? can't. I, I I had a little look online, but nothing struck out a chord me in terms that's, of remembering it. That's fair enough. I remember it. In 2011, sorry, in a 2011 interview with uh, FirstShowing.net, Branner said that in his first meeting with Kevin Feige, the Marvel Studios boss outright told him, this is the most difficult property we have. It's the most difficult film we have to make, and it's the most difficult character to realise on film. How are you going to do it? If you think about it, it's yes. so much more difficult than Iron Man, Hulk, or Cap. It really is. Because Iron Man, Hulk, or Cap, these are kind of like comic book uh, archetypes that have existed before successfully, like Batman uh, and Superman. You know, the kind of the, the, the genius, the genius uh, crime fighter. The, well, I think the, it's the, something happens to a guy. Something happens to a guy. And yeah, Thor so- is not something happens to a guy. To a guy. Thor, <laughs> Thor is basically, he's already Thor's a guy. Thor's not a guy. He's a guy, he's not a guy. You have to deal with this whole other layer of it. Anyway, yeah. 
The original script shown to Branagh was more of a period piece, with most of the action taking part in the age of the Vikings. Branagh didn't believe that would work for audiences to connect to the character in the same way he had connected with the comics he read as a child. So Branagh told Marvel if he was going to make the movie, he'd want to set it in the contemporary modern world. Wow. That's just, yeah, how do you yeah. feel about that? What I, I, I think that... That addresses Mar- if Marvel, if the original script that you know, or the script that was floating around at that time, um, mm. I think setting in the modern world helps big time to solve a problem Marvel had. What because of the uh, the characters difficult to realize onto film? Because then you have this connection. Uh, how do you have a connection with a god that's in the past? Like it's exactly you know it's difficult. Um, and I heard Branagh say. 100% this movie starts with with real people in the real world yes. using technology and science, he yes. said. We just established that from the get-go. And God, he's, he's good at this. And then he had this whole thing. He, he talked about how the whole build-up of the very first scene is to get us to Asgard, they knock Thor down with a van, and then someone says... Who is this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> then we see who he is and where he comes from. And you're like, ah, yeah, they're, they're, but just yeah. having comedy in that initial dialogue as well. Darcy's really funny, and, and that's a, a a good part of grounding us all. In, we'll to, okay, yeah. we're familiar with this setting, with people, with their dialogue, and with their humor. So that gives we, we then give the story permission to take us somewhere else and to do something a little Ooh, different. Permission. Permission to go somewhere else. I totally get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, when asked about the involvement of Marvel Studios in crafting in the crafting of the film, Branner said their involvement was constant, intense, and passionate. Going to put that in my Tinder bio just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> my involvement will be constant, intense, and passionate. There will be several rewrites. No, <laughs> reshoots. So, oh, that was bad. Lots of reshoots. Whee! He said we weren't always in agreement. It got pretty hot sometimes, but it was always friendly and always from a position of respect. And it was everything I needed. Three years ago, I told them I need all the help I can get on this film. I need to be strongly produced. I demand to be strongly. Pro- I de- sorry. I need to be strongly produced. I demand to be strongly produced. Here's one thing I can say about the Marvel people I worked with: I never doubted their absolute devotion to the characters and to the comics, even when I disagreed profoundly with some of the things they had to do. It was from a fanboy position. It was never about how much money we need to make or commercial considerations. Now, that's wow. interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Because you would think it would be like, no, we've got to do this so we can get more bums on the seats from this demograph or something. Yeah, and I do wonder if early Kevin Feige, Feige is, is, Fiji is um, thinking about we want to protect and persevere this character for mm. Avengers, for a sequel, for another Avengers movie down the line. You know what I mean? You, mm. You've really got to think, if this character isn't well protected and presented, mm. we lose a franchise. And yes. it may damage yeah. multiple franchises. Yeah, he's, um, he's got the long game going on. Yeah. Always. Yeah, um, all about the long game. But absolutely fascinating, kind of not shying away from saying... Yes, Marvel Studios were heavily involved, but also part of this interview is him sort of saying, I've never done a movie like this, ever, <laughs> with special effects and with, I've never done any, I've never done an action movie, yep. I've never done a special effect movie, I've never done a franchise movie, I'm doing all three in one. <laughs> like, so him, yeah. him saying, I need you producers to be involved, yes. I need your guidance and your help on it, like, 
from, from a more broader perspective, in terms of a team project, that's the best attitude to have. Because I go into, not that any uh, job uh, recruiter is going to be listening to this podcast, but I always go into interviews knowing what I can't, what, 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 what my uh, weaknesses are, what I don't know. And I always go, look, I don't know this, but I'm happy to learn. If you're willing to teach me, I will learn. Yeah. Always. That's how you should be. That's how you should be, kids. When you're, yeah. when you, Get when a job. you're in, in the job interview world, know your weaknesses and say you can learn or anyway. uh, go on the dole and rinse the system because there's probably only about <laughs> 15 to 20 years of state support left for people with no jobs. Do what you can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Speaking to Collider in 2020, Branner said there was a lot of pressure on the Thor movie to ensure the MCU was a success. There was no question that tonally, tonally Thor was critical after the massive success of the brilliant Iron Man from Mr. Favreau and Robert Downey Jr., and then slightly less successful in their terms, The Incredible Hulk. Thor became critical to being the sort of tonal bridge between the earthbound and the spacebound and the fantasy-bound parts of the Marvel Universe, so there was a kind of connective matrix that Thor, Asgard, the Nine Realms, and everything that it involved could provide inside that large Marvel Cinematic Universe that was enormously important, that couldn't be done by the brilliant Captain America, because it wasn't the same material. This was the one that said, is there a fantastical future? Yeah, it's hard to kind of, it's kind of hard to penetrate what he's saying there. He, he kind of, he, he talked, I think he got, what I think happened is he got started saying, Incredible Hulk nearly tanked the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> this had to show that it's not just Iron Man. It had to be a, a, a non-Iron Man success had to happen with the next movie or we maybe don't get Avengers. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a real concern. And don't forget, Marvel leveraged their intellectual properties to get loans to pay for these movies. Let, yes. Let's not forget that yes. if, these, if these movies do not are not a success, then when it's time to pay those loans back, if they don't have the money then they have to they they lose these characters to whoever whatever bank they borrowed the money from or yeah. investment company they borrowed the money from um like it's a, it's a high stakes game the phase 1 is a there's so much skin in the game that oh, marvel absolutely. have and incredible hulk was bad like it was i mean we enjoyed the movie mm. but those results were are not good and if it looks like actually all you get out of these new Marvel movies is the Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man as a success, then maybe all you have is Iron Man, and maybe Marvel can't do this. So Thor kind of had to be a success. That's what I think he starts that quote saying, and then he just goes off to talk about how <laughs> there's a connective matrix when we want to do stuff that, in space. That made a lot of sense. I mean, he's, he's, he's got the lingo right. Yeah, try and give an answer, but don't give an answer. Yeah, yeah he's, got, he's got the lingo right. So, fun fact. In October 2008, Daniel Craig was off the role of Thor, but ultimately turned it down, citing his commitments to the James Bond franchise. I can't think, when did Casino Royale come out? Was it before this? Or after 2006. This? I think this is around the time that Quantum of Solace came out. So, they were, they were trying... Uh, I don't think that was, a, I don't think that was uh, real. You, uh, can't, you can't have somebody... 
you can't an actor can't be in both like two massive franchises. It's just too much demand on their time. All I can hear is Matthew Vaughan in the distance going totally unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so in May two thousand and nine, Chris Hemsworth was in negotiations to portray the title role after a back and forth process in which the twenty five year old actor twenty five. It 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 he look it it does it just. That's such a young age, and he doesn't look that young. He looks like in his early Oh, 30s. I think the opposite. I think he looked like an absolute baby in this movie. <laughs> Which the 25-year-old actor was refused early on, then given a second chance to read for the part. Hemsworth's brother, Liam, also auditioned for the role, but was passed on by Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige. On how he got into the role, Hemsworth said, I almost want to do an impression of his Thor voice. Um, I started with the comic books. I didn't read all of them. There are 40 or 50 years worth, but I certainly read enough to get a sense of who he was and the world he was from. And then I read some things on Norse mythology and the fatalistic view they have that everything is preordained, that they would that would lead to Vikings into a fearless attitude in battle and with their lives. They would certainly back their opinions and they were not swayed easily. That spoke volumes to me about the character. You fill your head with whatever information and research you have, but on set it was just about making it truthful and finding a simpler way that I could relate to it. Instead of thinking about how to play a powerful god, it became about scenes between fathers and sons and brothers. You personalise that, and that helps ground the story for an audience. That way, we can relate to it, and hopefully an audience can too. The next day, Marvel announced that Tom Hiddleston, who had previously worked with Branagh before, and had initially been considered to portray the lead role, had been cast as Loki. Originally, Hiddleston went for the role of Thor, despite not really wanting to play the part. He said, I didn't actually want to be Thor, but my hair is in all sorts of trouble at the moment. I was born with very blonde, curly hair, not unlike Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I'm six foot two. So, like every other English-speaking actor over six foot who's got blonde hair, I went up for the part of Thor. But I'm not built like a house like Chris Hemsworth, and there's no way in Odin's Asgard that I could have delivered what Chris has done. It was always meant to be this way, I think. I'm much happier as things are. With Loki, I took the character that I saw in the comics. Loki is a master of magic, and in the Marvel Universe, he's the agent of chaos. His superpower is his intelligence, if you like. He's a shapeshifter, and has the ability to stay ten steps ahead of everybody else. So Chris, sorry, Ken, Chris, Tony, and I all talked about having these layers. He's someone with a fierce intelligence, but also a very damaged heart. I think a red dot will form on my forehead if I give any more information about Loki in the Avengers. All I can tell you is that Loki will be in the Avengers, and it will take more than Thor to stop him this time. Yes, what do you think about these two, um, the, the casting of, 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 of Hemsworth and, and Hiddleston? I think it's perfect. I mean, obviously, it's we, 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 with, with Chris Hemsworth, it's like, yeah, he looks the part. He, 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 he does it, you know, he's got the fierceness. But with Tom Hiddleston, we've talked about this before, I just think that Loki was the role he was born to play because he's, 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 he naturally has that same kind of slimy duplicitousness <laughs> in his tone. Not to, yeah, although... I, 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 I have warmed a lot to Hiddleston lately. I have actually warmed a lot to him quite a bit lately. The Loki, the Loki series softens him, doesn't it? It softens him and gives you more sight to him. But I, I think I've been too hard on Tom Hiddleston before because he's not bad. He's just a bit 
something about him's a bit like uh, just smoke smarmy lad. Unfortunately, smoke, he's smoke yeah. smarmy lad. Not um, like us, not like us uh, lower class, working class lads, eh? Maybe, maybe when you've, you know, you've you've banged Taylor Swift, that just naturally happens to you. You just, you just that level of smug for the rest of your life. Maybe. Um, yeah. I have to say, I still don't think Chris Hemsworth is good. I don't think he's good in anything I've seen him in. That's fair. I think it sounds to me like he's got cotton balls in his mouth. He, he struggles around. I, I really don't like the way he pronounces words. Maybe that's mm. just his in his American accent. I mean, um, it's a bit different with his Australian with his natural voice. Yeah, he's a bit more. I I don't think he brings much to the role of Thor. I really don't. Um, <laughs> that's he is tall and broad shouldered, but and blonde. But I I beyond that, I don't get anything. I mean, it's a it's a little like when when things get a bit more serious, perhaps around the time of of Infinity War End Game. I think he brings he does bring a different gear, hmm. um, but I I just don't I, I I don't enjoy his his performances. Thor, no. That said, who would you have liked to have seen as Thor? Who think? Who I do don't you... think like that. I I don't uh. I don't. There's, there's, I can't think of an actor that looks like Thor. But mm. but but it's not my job to do that. Like it's it you know you're looking for unknowns, aren't you? So great, bring an unknown yeah. out that, that, that can act unknown. properly and sounds <laughs> doesn't sound like he's got cotton balls in his when he talks. I am going to. I hate the way he sounds. So, I just it's so bad. What 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 you're really saying is the perfect thought for this film would have been Tyler Maine. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth Branagh spoke about how crucial the casting of the two leads was. I'll never forget the moment that we cast those two boys, Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston. It was like a sort of meditation or a sort of incantation. Kevin Feige... This guy, he's he's such like a lovey. He's such a theatre lovey, isn't he? Don't knock it. They're very interesting to talk to. (laughs) Kevin Feige... If you get trapped by one at a party, though, you you know, an hour tops... No, 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 because I've got ADHD and, and my, my hyper-focus will fix in when we find a subject to talk about and it will become the most intense... Di- it's happened before. I've spoken to lovies before and it becomes intense discussion full of passion. Yeah, they think they're connecting with you on a, like a soul level. They're weird. <laughs> oh, no, I just like I just like chatting at people. <laughs> yeah, we've met, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've met. Yeah, we've met. Well, I, I know who you are. Uh, Kevin Feige must have walked around this long over table a hundred times on that Saturday morning as I kept sort of saying... I think we should call them. Are you sure? Yeah, I think we should call them. And I knew how profoundly serious that decision was. Kevin said, we'll never make a more important decision in this company than what's happening in this room Saturday morning at 10.30 when you pick up the phone to Chris Hemsworth and then Tom Hiddleston. It's either going to work or it's not. Good luck. I, I mean that sounds very grandiose, but I think it it, it all comes back to this thing that it feels like if we're to believe these these kind of um, stories from 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 Ken, um, that Kevin Feige was really feeling like he's under the hammer with uh, with this movie that Thor has to be a success for the MCU to be a success because the Hulk didn't quite work. Yeah, it's because I think it feels I, like he's feeling a lot of anxiety about it. Well, the, the, I, I, to, to go on a quick tangent on this, I think they've only just had Iron Man because they've had Iron Man and Iron Man Two and some other characters in that. Incredible Hulk wasn't a success. The idea is they want to get another successful character yeah. to justify a team-up movie. Yeah. So obviously and, they have to have at least Thor, so they can go. Ah, at least we got two people. Yeah. 
and then, than and then Iron so we've got Man two you want to see and mm. okay if Cap doesn't work and mm. if Hulk didn't work yeah yeah I get that I get that oh sorry in July 2009, Marvel announced that Natalie Portman would portray Jane Foster, and by the late October, Anthony Hopkins had to be cast as Odin in the film, or as Mark Kermode always would say, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Anytime he says his name, he says it ah. like with the sir at the beginning. Talking about accepting the role in a comic book movie, Hopkins said, It was Ken Branner. I said once that if they gave me enough money to read the phone you, you, book... You're not going fast enough for Anthony Hopkins. It was Ken Branagh. I said to him... <laughs> the guy goes, oh, yes, yes, it, was, it was Ken Branagh. I said once that if they quicker, gave me quicker, enough money quicker. Uh, to, to read the phone book, uh, I'd do, do it. That's, that's my uh, Anthony Hopkins impression. He only slows down when he's acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, 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 he's a certain kind of Welsh that does that. He's, he's neurodivergent as well. Oh, He's autistic, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, da, 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 da. I say, sorry. Da, da, da. I live in a total state of non-expectation. I don't expect things, and I keep my expectations very low about everything, especially the last few years. I hadn't seen Ken Brunar in some years, and I wasn't sure how he'd respond to me because I was one of the bad boys that ran away from England many years ago and came out to cuckoo land out here. <laughs> I never fit into British theatre. I've always been a fan of Ken's, actually. I, I had never read the comic. I'm not a geek, you know. But it turned out that it was the most enjoyable film I've been involved with for a long time, particularly because of the cast and everybody, everyone and Ken. I'd gone through a patch where I was getting very indifferent to everything and could care less about anything. To work with Ken, he just pushed the right buttons to get me to give, my, give up my best. I really valued that because I had gotten lazy. He's one of the best directors I've worked with. That was the principal reason for doing it. That and the fact I wanted to work. I've got to pay the rent, you know. And I thought that this was a nice part. I didn't have much. To, to, I didn't have to do too much. The only thing that I wish I, I wish I could have gone out to New Mexico. I had such a good time in the studios, but my time was so brief. I was only in it about three weeks on those great sets. There was no acting required. I wrote NAR in my script for no acting required. I let the armor act for me on the sets. I showed up and put on my voice, and that was about it. I really enjoyed it. I have to say, that does come across. Like, I think there's two levels of Anthony Hopkins' performance in the later years. There's ones where he's trying to act, yeah. like um, oh, the one he did recently about Alzheimer's, which was wonderful. Yeah, and then there's... Right. There's this kind of stuff uh, where he's just uh, sometimes he knows he has to shout and that's yes. it. Um, this, and it's this. kind of like Al Pacino in in later years, yes, where he just stopped acting and just started to do Al Yelling. Pacino. Al Pacino. This is the this is the thing. It's like any time they have this kind of we'll say low culture or broad you know broad culture film, and they bring in someone like an Oscar winner or a Shakespearean actor, someone who's you know high culture. Basically, it's just look, we need you to sort of fit into this box and be a certain way uh, and your your reputation your name will do the rest and you you know you do enough for it but you don't yeah, have to do too much yeah he brings gravitas gravitas to the role. that's like that's it, yeah. it, it, it the look works and <clears throat> if it was a complete unknown playing odin i don't know but it there's there's, there's something that 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 Anthony Hopkins in his older years brings with him um yeah, and the timbre of his voice works wonderfully um yep yeah, he isn't. Not much is being required of him acting wise. He's quite right. I, I like the honesty there. I absolutely love the honesty because he's got the sort of lovey, 
way of speaking. But at the same time, he's going, I didn't have to do much. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I've got to pay the bills. I didn't have to do much acting. I let the arm, and that they let the army do the acting as well. Like, like the cost, the, there's so many actors say this the costume will do so much of the acting yeah. for you in these things. Absolutely. Because I look incredible. Absolutely. When it came to bringing Asgard to the big screen, Branner said, Inspired by the comic book world, both pictorially and compositionally at once, we've tried to find a way to make a virtue and a celebration of the distinction between the world that exists in the film, but absolutely make them live in the same world. It's about finding the framing style, the colour palette, finding the texture and the amount of camera movement that helps celebrate and express the differences and the distinctions in those worlds. If it succeeds, it will mark this film as different the combination of the primitive and the sophisticated, the ancient and the modern. I think that potentially is the exciting fusion, the exciting tension in the film. The film looks very good. I don't think it feels like it's anything brand new or original or different or... It's not... It's, 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 it looks wonderful and it's refreshing in the Marvel MCU. Yes, but it's but like any it's, other fantasy film or space yeah. opera. It's yeah. that, that mix of the old and new. It's, Essentially, it's not as good as the Flash Gordon movie. Oh, <laughs> just isn't. Um, virtually no, virtually none of these, none of these kind of like, oh, well, we're going to say you the grand again. You're not as good as that 1970s, 80s Flash Gordon movie. You're just not. <laughs> um, I did read him. I did read him kind of talk quite interesting. I heard him talk quite interestingly about how, like, he really struggled shooting Mjolnir. Because right. in the in the comics, because of artistic discretion and poetic license, artistic mm. license, the way that Mjolnir can be presented and often is, it's like every time you see Mjolnir, it's it's in this very grand way, like, and it's it like the imbues of this the item yeah. with a huge amount of gravitas and a huge amount of importance. And he said, and that's because it's art, and art can change perspective everything and he said <clears throat> and filming an actual object it's so hard we try yeah. with zooms we try with different angles we tried shooting it from below and above and the lighting and he said and unfortunately at the end of the day it was just an object <laughs> and he said we we just kind of had to put it out of our minds that we're going to really struggle to make it feel as important as it does in the comics visually yeah. and i thought that was quite interesting they just Very. basically went yeah we couldn't do that one <laughs> the film score was written by composer Patrick Doyle, a frequent collaborator of Brenner. Speaking about, what, sco- what, we need to address how you've changed saying his name. But the thing is, this, I blame you the far- Brenner. <laughs> I, I blame the fast show for this. Remember, <laughs> okay. remember, remember, suits you, sir. The sketch, the yes, suits you. all right. But they're talking about uh, thespians in one bit because one of the customers is an actor, and they say they, they're doing it in that kind of old posh way where you pronounce it grandier. And they say, yeah. yes, I saw Brunards. Brunard. Oh, I see. Because so you switched at the start, you were saying Branner. Branner. Because now it's Brunard. <laughs> it sticks in my head subconsciously. Because okay. every time I hear Kenneth Branner, I go Brunard. It's like from that sketch. We're gonna, what we need to get you is with a shock collar. And then when you... It's not the first when, time can, you've ever mentioned this. No, I think it'd be useful. You can hit the button live and you'll go, Brunard. Branner. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to come up with a weird tick later in life. Brad! Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sorry, I was remembering a time I had a shot collar. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, the film score was written by Patrick Doyle. Uh, speaking about scoring the film, Doyle said, I suppose the main challenge in Thor was to come up with a superhero theme and the main theme that represents Asgard, the home of Thor. I wanted the latter to come across an old folk uh, song from a Celtic world, which, as I mentioned before, I was raised in. This melody had a development that became the traveling, action and fighting theme. Everyone responded very well to those two themes in addition to the theme that represented the world of Jotunheim. It gave me enormous satisfaction as this brand new comic book to film, to, uh, to film hero gave me this kind of th free thematic palette. I thought the music was the score was very good in this movie. I I, I noticed it several times. There were only a couple of times when I'm going, ah, oh, could have done a bit different there. But other times I'm going, no, he's actually absolutely nailed it in some mm. scenes. Absolutely nailed it, and I noticed this so much this time around. Uh, fun. Uh, <laughs> this this I, this passed me by. A video game titled Thor: God of Thunder, based on the film, was developed by Sega using the voices and likenesses of actors Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, and Jamie Alexander and was released on May 3rd, 2011. I have never heard of this game. No. no. Uh, back, back when you can get these people uh, to do the game because they were, so, they were not famous enough to be able to say no. Uh, that and the games were quicker, quicker to make back then. I think yeah. this is this is the biting point where it's like, yeah, we can't do film tie-in games now because games take too long to make and uh, too much work. So, And you can't. That's why. That's why the last few Marvel games. Why, why can't have been, they just have been make separate. one? Make one that isn't as grand as a new game, and just make a quick knock one out. I mean, you could, but it'll be like a mobile game, wouldn't it? I mean, they do uh, that too, maybe. But this is the thing: if you want a triple A rated game, if you want a proper console game, you know, you put a lot of effort. That's why you have the Spider-Man games uh, that are separated from the MCU. That's why you have. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Marvel's Avengers being the separate thing rather than an adaptation to game. If you want more of this, don't forget we've got a massive episode about the uh, Insomniac Spider-Man video game uh, in the archives. Go check that out. Absolutely. It's a good one. This was the first Marvel movie released in 3D, and 60% of the film's North American box office came from 3D screenings. That's often by default, because I don't know about you, but a, yeah. a lot of the time when they were doing 3 they don't do it anymore, do they, thankfully? Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't when, like that. When you went to see a movie, you had mm. no choice. Like yeah. It was like, oh, I'm either going to wait three hours to see it in 2D, because it had less 2D showings yeah. because they charged less. They were really hammering it at home, weren't they, the 3D? Yeah. And I remember watching Avatar going, okay, that's fair. You said, uh, what was it, the uh, Tintin movie was the best use of 3D. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, I only saw they, that they did, the other They did year. 3D dust particles when you yeah. were in an old, an old mansion. It was amazing. That's how it works. I, I mean, I've had that with VR Spielberg. stuff. Yeah, I watched that the other year. Uh, I, I'm surprised. Uh, Great. It, I loved it. It was I loved thrilling. It. Lots loved of it. fun. It was, yeah. it was like watching Raiders of the Lost Ark for the yeah, first time. Yeah, that's exactly again. what it felt yeah. like to me. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move away from Tintin. Good film. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, Thor, uh, this movie, has a 77% uh, fresh score from critics and a 76% audience score. Cinema score gave the film an average grade of B plus on an A plus to, a, uh, to F scale. I think that's fair. Uh, uh, yeah, that feels, that feels about right. I, yeah, I, about right. I, yeah. I, I think, uh, apart from uh, The Dark World, I think... The other four Thor films are just the other four films are just uh, seven out of ten for me. You're like, yeah, had fun, room for improvement. My 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 Rob scale is a little different to everybody else's. Uh, I, this is above this is an above average movie, mm -hmm. so that'll place it sort of between it maybe a six, six, yeah, between a six I, or I, seven. Yeah, I don't get review scores. Anyway, finally, Variety magazine review said 
Thor delivers the goods so long as Butter's being kicked and family conflict is played out on out in the in celestial dimension. Try that one again. <laughs> Sorry. Thor delivers the goods so long as Butter's being kicked and family conflict is played out in celestial dimensions, but is less thrilling during the Norse warrior god's rather brief banishment on Earth. While the legendary Roger Ebert's review said, Thor is a failure as a movie, but a success as marketing, an illustration of the ancient carnival tactic of telling the rubes anything to get them into the tent. We're the rubes and we're in the tent. 2011 is the year this movie came out. And of course, these movies don't happen in a vacuum, folks. They're part of a rich tapestry of pop culture um and to fully explain the uh, the context we need to think about what was going on in the world and what was going on in marvel um mm. and the cinema and all sorts when when uh, when thor hit the cinemas the top singles of the year were rolling in the deep by adele um ma- like a massive 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 i think more than any of these others it still is around in people's minds and it's on playlists and it's it, it features a lot in movie soundtracks and stuff it's um, a massive song um, party rock anthem. Now the, the guilty pleasure of mine by uh, LMFO um, with uh, Lauren Bennett and Goon Rock. I, I yeah, there's something about those the, the LMFAO songs. Uh, kind of, I don't know what it is. What, what they do, sexy, and I know it. Um, like, I think that was. Them. Oh yeah, Gosh. maybe. I remember that. Um, one. That was every quite day, good. every day. I'm shuffling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's silly. It's silly, silly but catchy um, and fun. Firework by Katy Perry, my my niece, she's 11 now. I think this has been her favourite song for like five years, non-stop. She loves Katy Perry. Um, it's mainly because I think Katy Perry played a troll in an animated troll movie. Oh, and she loved that movie, and then it became, yeah. she loves like, so, so a lot of times she, she, she hears like, um, like animated covers like there'll be an animated movie and the animated characters will sing a cover version of a famous song and for years i was trying to say do you want to listen to the original and she would stare at me like i'm an idiot no i want to hear an animated duck sing you fool um kate perry makes the list again with et with kanye west i don't remember that one there we go moves like jagger maroon five featuring christina aguilera i once had to watch Maroon 5 in concert because they were supporting a band I did want to see. Which the band? And Matchbox 20. Now, I know what you're saying, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's 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 one really good Matchbox 20 album when they were kind of more um, kind of indie college rock bands. Yeah, um, yeah. The first one was good. The second one was was, was still pretty good. They, I remember hearing the second one and going, oh, there's, this feels way too polished. They feel like they've gone a little bit too to pop now. Yeah. And by the time I'd bought the tickets to see them, like you buy the tickets because they're doing the UK shows, whatever. Mm. By the time they come around, they've released another like, album or so and I've gone, I have now gone off this band. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they've gone... They've crossed. They've gone too far. They've gone way into like straight into an area I don't like anymore. Very too kind of like mainstream poppy, and I'm not. Uh, uh. And then they brought this other awful band with them, and I went, "Who are these <laughs> jokers? Like, Who are these jerks? They are a subversion of the band you now are that I don't like." And that turned out to be Maroon Five, <laughs> and he banged a supermodel and then cheated on her. Anyway, no. Time wow, for. facts. Um, I forget which supermodel it was. Anyway. Um, the debut episodes of TV shows, like this is a really 
clutch list, man. What it's a, a year for this. Um, Top Boy came out in, in this year. Um, and there was a long gap between Top Boy and... Um, and it getting anything picked up. It was, like, it was mm. like Netflix, wasn't it, where it became a success on Netflix again, and they invested in, in kind of bringing back a second series. But it the was, first series of Top Boy is really, really good. The, 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 when it was, the, old, the old series of Top Boy was brilliant, but man, the Netflix stuff was incredible. I watched the whole lot. It's such a good show. There's a point in which I choose to believe, and I haven't seen the end, I just got a bit too emotional. Um, and there's a point in which Sonny and, and Thingy go to the Bichon. seaside, and I go... I choose to believe they stayed there <laughs> and lived a lovely life. And that's the end of Top Boy. Oh, boy. Um, Bob's Burgers, which I, is criminally underrated and underwatched. A, a wonderful, a wonderful great. comedy. Love it. Um, Black Mirror came out in 2011. A yeah. hit and miss series, if, any, if ever there was one. <laughs> um, but it hits are really poignant. I can't yeah. say I ever sit down and go... I really want myself to feel miserable. I'm going to watch some Black Mirror. Like, I try and what, avoid it. I try and avoid watching yeah, it, even though I, it's my thing. Once I'd watched it and got, oh, every show is going to make me feel horrible. Yeah. Great. I just didn't watch it anymore. There we go. Suits, which I think is an enjoyable kind of bingey show. Mm-hmm. Nothing uh, challenging in it. Um, packed with the most attractive people you'll ever see. <laughs> some of which are now royalty so sometimes if you're hot enough you can become royalty amazing um and game of thrones first came out 2011 yeah. stunning first series really, yeah, really very wonderful. very solid first series of that. to be fair i think it's all it was all really good until the last series uh and and then then there you go um Best-selling video games. Uh, Will, do you want to take us through these ones? Uh, shall I do it in order, one to five or five to one? Just I'll use your initiative. Use your initiative. And for number five, we have Gears of War 3, which I've only played for two hours. Uh, Batman, and for number four, sorry, in fourth place, Batman Arkham City, which I consider to be a perfect game. Uh, fantastic play if you can. Battlefield 3, I remember getting this uh, at number three. I remember getting this when it came out. Uh, very good online game for its time. Better than Call of Duty. Uh, number two, Elder Scrolls Five, so Elder Scrolls Five, Skyrim, which everyone goes on about still. Oh, I didn't know Sky. I thought Skyrim and Elder Scrolls were different franchises. I didn't realize. Nope. <laughs> ah, there you go. Because the previous ones were Oblivion and Morrowind, but they're all part of the Elder Scrolls series. Got it, yeah, yeah. Too complicated. And number one, surprise, surprise, it's Call of Duty Modern. Hold Warfare on a minute, 3. Will. You lied. You said Battlefield was the better game, but here, Call of Duty is clearly the better game. Look at it. It's the number one game. There it is. I enjoyed the one-player uh, mode of this. It got insane. There was a good level in the London Underground. Uh, that's all I can say, really, about that. What about the <laughs> highest-grossing films of the year, Will? What can you oh, tell us about those? Okay, let's, this, is a, this is quite an interesting one. So at number five, we have The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1, which is a lot of words for a film. At, uh, <laughs> it's the most on this list. Yeah. Uh, 684.4 million it made, so that's very successful. Uh, number four, we have Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, with 694.7 million. I remember enjoying this when I finally got around to going through the Mission Impossible films. Yes, I was surprised agreed. at how... When J.J. Abrams took over, they really upped their game and they got, got so enjoyable. Uh, at number three, P- Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. I pretty much gave up on the third uh, during the third one. Uh, at one $1.045 billion. The next one, Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Never saw it. The second one put me off all of them uh, with $1.123 billion. But at number one, 
And first... with with the most words on this list, I was wrong. The most it has words. one more word than the other one. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two with one point three billion dollars. That was the final Harry Potter film, wasn't it? That was. It was the end. Um, superhero movies of that year. Um, we had Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Um, none of Ooh. your billions on this list. <laughs> One hundred thirty-two million. Um, it was. It was okay. Green Lantern, uh, two hundred and twenty million. Yeah. Um, I guess we consider the Green Hornet a superhero. Um, it's kind of a comic book, pulpy film. Not a comic book, but there you oh, go. Oh, two hundred and twenty-nine. Nope, not that either. Well, no. yeah, briefly it was. Yeah, but radio. He's a radio character. Um, two hundred twenty-nine. Oh no, wait. Anyway, two hundred twenty-nine million dollars. Um, X Men First Class brought in three hundred and fifty-three million dollars. Captain America: The First Avenger brought in three hundred and seventy million, but um, head and shoulders above the rest. Thor, the top superhero movie of the year, head and shoulders not just because of the quality of his hair. I'm surprised. <laughs> four hundred and forty-nine million. Yeah, I'm surprised that Captain America didn't take uh, take more, considering how much of an endearing character he is, especially later later years in the MCU. Yeah, but he was he was an, an unknown in the same way that Thor was at the time. Totally so it's unknown. Six, six of one of Bickham, really. Um, in Marvel Comics in this year, um, we have a lot going on. Uh, Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers is back from the dead, but he's not Captain America. Bucky Barnes is still Captain America. Um, and he, he, what happens is uh, some nefarious people expose his secret identity to the world and say, check out all these people he murdered when he was the Winter Soldier. So we get the trial of um, Captain America. Um, the status quo in the Marvel Underworld changes big time. After years of battling the evil ninjas known as the Hand, Matt Murdock does the unthinkable and joins them. He Ooh. takes them over and becomes a leader of the Hand to try and make them a force for good. But <laughs> it becomes a tug on his soul as he... He keeps getting tugged more towards the darkness than the light. And as his tactics oh. get more and more extreme, it takes kind of a, a, a coalition of the, the street-level heroes, Spider-Man, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, White Tiger, to uh, band together to try and uh, knock some sense into Matt Murdock. Um, a, a, de a decent series, that. Um, yeah. A schism uh, emerges between the X-Men, Cyclops, the unquestioned leader of the mutants comes under fire from Wolverine for using teenagers to fight in deadly battles. Cyclops' <laughs> response is, mate, I've been doing this since I was 14. What's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> Wolverine's response is, I've been abused my whole life by military people. Um, so it's a really good clash of like upbringings mm. and perspectives on this. Um, mm. uh, the dispute erupts into a violent battle between Wolverine and Cyclops and it ends with Wolverine forming his own split-off splinter team of X-Men, leaving Utopia in San Francisco where the mutants are based and returning to um, Massachusetts where he, he forms the uh, Massachusetts? No, I don't mean Massachusetts. Greenwich, where he, Greenwich, he opens yeah. up um, the Jean Grey Memorial School to Ooh. teach children and not train them for a war. Um, Moon Knight relocates from New York to L.A. He becomes Mr. Hollywood, and he discovers a whole new criminal underworld waiting for him. Moon Knight's personality becomes even more split, and his separate personalities start to believe themselves to be Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. Um, it includes a wonderful scene where he, <laughs> he beats up 
<laughs> a whole bunch of strippers in a strip club whilst whilst dressed as Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, Spider- Spider-Man meets meets Moon Knight for the first time in many years. And he says, did you beat up a bunch of strippers dressed like me? I've been getting calls. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. The Fantastic Four disband in the wake of the death of Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. Um, instead of the Fantastic Four, they, they, uh, the Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Ben Grimm, and Spider-Man form the Future Foundation, donning Ooh. white and black costumes after retiring the classic blue colours. It's Thor, the 2011 movie. Before we uh, tackle the uh, the silver screen version, let's take a trip behind the page, Will, and let's learn about the origins of this character and where he came from to um, inspire the Chris Hemsworth, Kenneth Branagh movie. The, the Thor in the Marvel Comics character, obviously based on North, Norse mythology, but the, the Marvel character first appeared in um, not in a, a comic book called Thor, but in an, mm. an anthology comic book that Marvel were publishing in the 1950s and 60s. It was called Journey into Mystery, um, and it was released um, for August of 1962. Um, it says it's written by Stan Lee with mm. art, but well, the plot is by Stan Lee. The script from Stan Lee's uh, brother, Larry Lieber, which, Larry Lieber, mm. um, and the art by Jack Kirby. It's probably more accurate to say that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby came up with the plot together before handing the um, the pages off to Larry Lieber to come up with the dialogue. Um, so Marvel had had success in the early 60s with the Fantastic Four, the very first um, Marvel comic of the Marvel Age. We talked about that in our last deep dive. And in particular... Readers loved Ben Grimm, the Thing. Mm. He's the first star and popular character of Marvel Comics. We don't have Spider-Man yet. Um, and, Doesn't uh, surprise me. Doesn't surprise me because he's such an iconic character. The design, Jack Kirby's design of the Thing is incredible. Um, the fact that he's strong and punches people can't be overlooked because that's quite an attractive thing. People really like that in their action heroes or their whatever heroes. The fact that he's kind of grumpy and and does does a lot of joking around, um, and has this kind of a uh, series of you know kind of pranks and jokes with Johnny Storm. Mm. But Stanley has said that what he wanted to do was create a character that was even stronger than the Thing, and this Ooh. led to creating the Hulk. There we go. There it is. And the idea behind the Hulk was he was the strongest man. In the whole world, that was the Hulk. Um, Hulk wasn't exactly a successful character, as we looked at in our <laughs> Incredible Hulk Remastered episode. Um, but once he'd done that, Stanley was trying to think up new characters, and he thought he had this natural progression. We did a, an ordinary guy became the Thing, then an ordinary guy became the Hulk, which is even stronger. But what would be even stronger? What's stronger than the strongest like monster in the world? And according to Stanley. It was the next step along was going to be a god. An ordinary guy becomes mm. a god, has the powers of a god. That's what Stan has said in interviews. Jack Kirby, however, we know has been fascinated by myths and legends for quite some time because before Journey into Mystery in 1962, Jack Kirby created two other Thor characters for <laughs> different comics for for the for the the competition for DC. 
No. So in 1942, he was he was creating comics for uh, national publications, which would eventually become DC Comics in a roundabout mm. way. Jack Kirby and his and his partner Joe Simon, the the two guys that created um, Captain America, um, were writing and drawing a story for the wartime hero, the Sandman. Mm. Not anything to do with Neil Gaiman and the Netflix series and all those comics. Was well, that the, the original? You basically reinvented though. It was like the existing character was the Sandman. Then the, then he did that, and they referenced it in the comic. Yes, they took the name. Yeah. They took the name. That's all they took, really. Okay. Um, it gets more confusing because in the comic they reference two different Sandmen. Yes, I was. Ba- that's what I was getting at. Because in the boy's dream, he is the superhero, the Sandman. Yeah, that's or, yeah. a different Sandman. Yeah. Um, the original Sandman, uh, Wesley Dodds, who has an incredible costume. It is the 1940s. Wesley Dodds' Sandman wears a gas mask yes. and a trench coat, and it is. Mm-hmm. So you could see that actually happening in a wartime spy thriller or oh, something. God, it's a yeah. gorgeous design. By the time Kirby's doing the character, like superheroes are popular, and unfortunately he's wearing a garish costume, no gas mask. But anyway, we don't have time for the Sandman. <laughs> mm-hmm. During this issue of of um, what was it they were doing? It was um, oh I forget what it was called. The name of the exciting adventures or something. The Sandman featured in it. Um, and uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon created a story called The Villain from Valhalla, which features Sandman and his teen sidekick, Sandy, um, <laughs> stopping literal gods, Thor, and his Viking god friends from plundering the city. Um, and it's interesting that Thor throws his hammer around as a weapon, He's invulnerable. Police shoot at him and bullets bounce off him. So this is quite notable for, like, Jack Kirby is getting his head around the idea of, oh, we can present Thor as an action-adventure character. Mm. He's got super strength. This is how, if Thor was in the modern world, police or whoever would shoot at him, bullets would bounce off him in a kind of a Superman way. Like, there's that element to this. Um, Fifteen years later... National Comics, uh, in 1957, National Comics have um, a comic book called Tales of the Unexpected. Um, And in this, Jack Kirby is uh, creating a six-page Western story, Wild West story, called Mm. The Magic Hammer, um, in which a a kind of disreputable man finds a hammer. (laughs) And the hammer, when thrown to the ground... Mm. Creates thunder, lightning, and storm. Very, okay. very much like what we'll see in the Thor comic. Um, he also destroys a tree with the hammer. He goes around making money as a rainmaker um, throughout the Old <laughs> West. Uh, he can make it rain to help your crops and your, your land and everything. And then he, he starts to consider all the riches the hammer could bring. And then he's basically like, wait a minute, why don't I just smash down the walls of this bank and take the money instead of earning it? I've got my steps all wrong here. <laughs> um, and the, the, the god Thor shows up to retrieve his hammer. Um, it was stolen from him by the mischievous Loki and and sent hurtling to Earth where a mortal man found it. And what's really interesting about this is the way that Jack Kirby draws Mjolnir the hammer, mm. 
in this story from 1957, it's exactly the same as he would draw the hammer when Thor's got it. So this has been in Jack Kirby's mind here since the 1940s. Mm. Jack Kirby has created two different versions of Thor years before the character is introduced to Marvel Comics. When so, like, however, the idea of doing Thor first came up, it's hard to say. It's not written down anywhere. I can tell you what Jack Kirby would say. It was all me. <laughs> Stanley's an evil man. He didn't do any work. Yep. What they finally come up with together, Stanley and Jack Kirby, is a version of Thor which is also very similar to the classic superhero format of of the golden age of comics of the 30s and 40s. So. Unlike the Thor of this movie, the character they come up with, or, or, or unlike modern Thor you'd read in, in modern Marvel comics, their original Thor character is a seemingly ordinary man that has a secret identity and yes. transforms into a costume hero with powers. The first Thor stories feature a disabled American doctor called Donald Blake, mm. who's on his holiday in Norway. He, stu- he, he stumbles across an alien invasion by rock monsters. <laughs> For some reason, these aliens think humanity's seat of power and influence is Norway. It's, <laughs> Let it's, us invade. Are those the Cronin out of interest? Uh, the, the Croninites, yes. The Croninites, sorry, yeah. That we see later on in Planet Hulk and stuff. Mm. Um, Donald hides in an old cave. He's lost his walking stick. He finds an, a, a stick on a, on, a, on a raised plinth that looks like a walking stick. He then, uh, st- like, strikes it against the walls of the cave trying to get out. He gets struck by lightning. The wooden Ooh. cane transforms into a mighty hammer. Donald Blake has been transformed into a massive blonde Viking with a cape and blonde hair and lots of power. And he sees on the hammer an inscription that reads, Whomsoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, mm. shall possess the power of Thor. And from this point on, he's able to transform himself into a super-powered form with a magic hammer, and he can summon lightning and thunder, and he's super strong, and he can fly. If he loses the hammer or drops it, he will transform back into his normal self after 60 seconds. That's a very important um, yes. uh, uh, cog in the in the stories. <laughs> I was going to say plot device. <laughs> figure out a way of turning back. Yeah. And this entire structure and format is, you might say, directly ripped off. You might say heavily <laughs> influenced by Captain Marvel, the Captain ah. Marvel of the 1940s. Mm. It was a small boy called Billy who would say a magic word that would summon lightning to strike him and transform him into a big, brightly coloured adult superhero that possessed Mm. the powers of the gods and was guided by a mystic bearded Odin-like figure called Shazam, who lived in the clouds. Yes. Captain Marvel was an iconic character. One of the... For a period of time, the most popular superhero of the Golden Age. He outsold Superman. Wow. He came after Superman, but Captain Marvel was so... When we get to our Captain Marvel episode later this year, we're going to get into all of this. 
that the big red cheese, as he was affectionately known, was very, very popular. So it, it, it it's it's not it's very much something that Stanley and Jack Kirby and Martin Goodman, the publisher, would have been very aware of mm. for copying. So we get this the the the, the early stories of Thor feel like direct rip-offs of the kind of Silver Age Superman stories. Mm. Um, we have Jane Foster playing this simpering Lois Lane role. We get a weak, mild-mannered, average Joe who becomes a superhero. The girl that he loves doesn't love him. She loves the tough, strong superhero he turns into. Yeah. She keeps comparing them all the time. Um, every story is anchored around him hiding his secret identity. Oh no, the bad guy's here. If I turn into Thor now and stop him, it'll expose my secret identity. What can I do? And it's just very much Superman. What began to happen, though, is because Jack Kirby is such uh, um, has such a fascination and knowledge of Norse mythology, hmm. he was able to do backup stories, a separate story in the back of Journey into Mystery. That was just called Tales of Asgard, where Jack Kirby just adapts classic Norse mythologies and poems and stories, telling classic fables about Thor, Loki, and Asgard. That's nice. And that stuff was a hit. Um, it gelled, it flowed a lot better, um, it let Jack Kirby be Jack Kirby and play with sweeping grand ideas and this Shakespearean kind of, um, as we said, dynastic drama. Mm. Um, and eventually on the line, whoever it was realised that this traditional superhero stuff is dull. Cosmic <laughs> Shakespeare and Asgardian <laughs> politics, that's awesome. Mm. So... They just let Donald Blake, the secret identity, kind of fade into the background. And Earth became less and less important, and it focused more on demons and Valhalla and mystic warriors and the royal throne. Um, and that's where Marvel discovers the true heart of the Thor character, his surrounding world, his supporting cast, his fantastic friends and foes. And once they ditch the traditional superhero antics... They focus on the fantasy worlds that would eventually inspire this 2011 movie. We've had a great response uh, from people wanting to get in touch with us about this movie. Um, look out for our announcements of uh, what the next episode is at the end of each episode, or indeed follow us on Twitter, X, whatever it's called, at Marvel Versus. Drop us an email to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com. In the past, we've not been great at giving people a lot of time to get their thoughts together before the episode comes out. We are endeavouring to fix that this year and give everyone about, you know, 10 days at least, two weeks maybe. Will, what's in the mailbag? Right, we've got a good mailbag today. Danny11M said, I have a lot of thoughts on this film, so strap in. Absolutely loved this film. Saw a sneak preview of it at Kapow in London back in the day. Oh, wow. You've heard of that. It's like a Comic-Con thing, is it? I did. I wasn't reacting to Kapow. I have heard of it. I oh. just mean someone saw a sneak preview of it. That's pretty That's cool. Good. That's I don't really know good. anyone that saw a sneak preview of it. <laughs> Put on by your fave, Mark Miller. <laughs> good lad. Hemsworth and Hiddleston were there talking to a room about 100 of us who wow. didn't know who, who they were. Can't imagine the hysteria there would be now. 
Tom especially was so passionate talking about the role. I'm so glad he's still around after dying more than anyone else in the MCU. The film itself did something I didn't think possible. It made Thor accessible. His lore was always some of the most impenetrable, in my opinion, despite growing up reading Marvel and watching the 90s cartoons, which he was mainly absent from. I think that's a very good point. Mm. Like, a lot of our um, stars, by this point, who have we had? X-Men, Spider-Man, Iron Mm. Man and Thor, uh, sorry, Hulk, all featured in, you know, prominent 90s cartoons. Mm. Um, It's really only Blade that, that hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, so it, it that's a, that's a great point Danny raises that this is the first like, um, well it's not it's the second but this is you know realistically if we talk about superheroes and I, we've said this before Blade isn't a superhero movie it's the first Marvel superhero movie that isn't from you know kids from the nineties and the eighties wouldn't have had an awareness of from those nineties cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. So glad they ditched the absolute worst thing about the comic version, Dr. Donald Blake. The lack of secret identities made the early MCU really stand out. From the shock I am Iron Man onwards, Thor paved the way for audiences to accept the more fantastical elements of the MCU, with Iron Man, and to an extent the Incredible Hulk, being more grounded. Branner was such a good choice to direct. As much as I love Ragnarok, I miss the regal godliness of Asgard compared to the basically just aliens rewriting we get from Dark World onwards. Thank you, Danny um, 11M. Yeah. I 100% agree at the end of that. I, mm. um, I really strongly dislike it when any storytelling presents the Asgardians as aliens. Hate it, hate yeah. it, hate it. It's not a different... Po- What's the... It's it's seep, it's completely separate from scrolls and the Cree and Martians and whatever. It should be it's a different dimension. It's a different realm. It's a different kind of thing. It's not you shouldn't be able to get in a spaceship and fly to Asgard. Yeah, um, that's exactly. I, the point. I, I dislike whenever that happens. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it it makes it lesser than to me. Oh, absolutely. Alfie Simpson wrote in to say, Alfie, Alfie, hope you good, mate. Writing in. I never loved Thor. It was always just a bleak film to me, as much as Loki was good in this. For me, it's just a basic filler. Origin story for a great character that has that was uh, completely let down. Also, Thor's eyebrows look really stupid because of how light they are. I Thanks mentioned this later. In, Alfie. Yeah, they, yeah, in this movie, aside, uh, on top of giving him these ridiculous blue contact lenses that yeah. I don't think look natural and work. Yeah. The the bleaching his eyebrows to be the same color as his bleach hair is a mistake. Um, he just look and it adds this to this weird baby face he's got. I believe. No, I totally get that. It's just I, I've never seen anyone with eyebrows like that. So it came off as like. Whoa. I um, asked my friend. My, 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 I've, I've consulted my best friend Eve for this episode to get the female perspective on hunky hunky Chris Hemsworth, and I brought those things up—the weird eyes and the eyebrows—and her words were, "I'll be honest, I've never really paid much attention to his face." <laughs> so there we go. Good um, girl. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. A lot of that could be. It's all about the hair. She, she, yeah. like a lot of straight women, is obsessed with men's hair. Um, so there you go. 
Yeah, I have nothing to bring to the table, uh, <laughs> <laughs> apart from my beard. Uh, Juzi Papalado wrote in to say, I remember the first time I saw Thor was during my MCU marathon during pandemic. I think it was a brilliant introduction to the characters of Loki and Odin, less of Thor. He is like a he, <laughs> he is like a, a dick for a good part of it and then meets the gun and suddenly he is redeemed and worthy in a day. Which is what you've... It does yeah. happen very quickly. It does happen very quickly. Fun fact, the first time I watched, I thought Odin was having a stroke. Had no idea that Odin's sleep was a thing. Yeah, well, they don't <laughs> tell you it's yeah. the thing, do they? He just... Yeah. It does look... I think it's meant to look like he's, he's having a stroke. I think it's it, meant to play on two levels. I, it, but they, they, haven't, they haven't introduced the character and said, get ready, because there's this thing called the Odin sleep, which might happen at any time. No, just say yeah, it's like how do you translate that to someone's like oh it's like a stroke yeah that's fair <laughs> whatever or some or an illness. Overall, I enjoyed this movie more than the second and maybe controversially the other ones. I feel it had a bit more structure and interest in storytelling and an attempt at establishing characters. I won't talk about Chris Hemsworth's very very blonde eyebrows because that wow <laughs> they stick out in this film for me. Yeah, keep up the good work, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much, Juicy. Um... Yeah. Next up, got David Fan, who said, Thor was a character I knew almost nothing about, but became one of my favourite MCU characters. I know the solo Thor movies aren't that great, but I do like how you know you're, you're in Thor's world when watching his films. They feel very separate from the rest of the stories in the MCU, much how I, I feel when I watch Guardians of the Galaxy movies. The only thing I didn't like about this movie was how fast everything wrapped up. I wanted the first Thor movie to take in Asgard taken Asgard alone, no Midgard, maybe have Odin banish him to Earth at the end of the movie and crash land near Jane Foster. Then there could have been an end credit scene with Fury and Coulson finding his hammer to place him in the MCU shared universe. Yes, I like that. Um, I like that. Thank you um, for writing in David Fan, one of the world-class wrecking crew, right there for you. Um, and I think you're... I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. And it certainly would follow the Captain America First Avenger um steps but from hearing kenneth branner speak about this he was kind of adamant that the the audience need um to see the modern world they need elements to make yeah. this accessible yeah. um i think it's a tightrope and it was a, a finely balanced one to walk absolutely Benno Goody said, "Hey lads, been listening since the original Captain America episode. Uh, uh, sorry, Captain America episode was released, but finally decided I had something worthy to share. That's 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 like nearly the very start, Benno. I mean, that's yeah, like that's... Uh, we did three in in we released three April. at the same time. Yeah, and then one a week. We were doing yeah, one a we week. Were, well, God, one and a week. So, we had nothing else to do back then. So you listened to us since our first month." Yeah, Benno. so that's, that's you can say you're here from the start. Yes. You can so say, say you've been listening with us since day one. That's fine. I remember being so excited when the MCU started at a time when comic book movies were being made to be down to earth and gritty. Finally, a comic book movie comes out that felt like a comic book. I think that's really um, a great point. Yeah, um, there's a lot of focus, isn't there, um, from these terrified movie producers oh we can't possibly challenge an audience by feeling different and weird they've got to make everything like yeah. we're gonna make sure this is set in the real world yeah. let's see how batman builds his costume through Don't. drop That's shipping it. i i love it i love i love the logistics behind the bat suit yeah 
Iron Man didn't take itself too seriously and was a blast of action and comedy. Incredible Hulk was also a fun ride. I never understood the hate that movie got. I used to go with my friends to midnight opening releases and Thor came out during my first year at university when I was away from my old friend group. I was so excited for the next MCU installment as we were finally getting a connected universe and I was gabbing to anyone who would listen about how it was all leading to a connected Avengers movie. I I think that's a good point to... um to, 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 to focus on I think by the time having seen it happen a couple of times now in mm. the end of Iron Man 1 and 2 and Hulk yeah we're now getting that thing of oh the, it's gonna we're gonna get the Avengers and yeah. they then you know once we get past Iron Man 2 they I think they announced um or maybe it's past the Hulk then they announced it's gonna be because they didn't announce what they were doing right at the start they just nope, made two no movies nope. so it's probably around this time the buzz starts of we're building to an Avengers movie, mm. um, and that's it. Must be it would be a huge driver of, of interest. Absolutely. Uh, I gathered as crew to go go to Thor's midnight release. On my earnest excitement slowly dwindled as the movie pattered on. I don't know if it was that it took itself too seriously, but the plot was out of whack or what. But it just felt less than the rest of phase one. I was so excited to see a capable female scientist, Natalie freaking Portman, no less, play a lead role, only watch her turn to a giggling dummy any time Thor was on screen with her. Thank goodness Captain America came out to help me bring to help bring it home because Thor was a bore. I had convinced a bunch of people to join me for that what I hope would be a fun midnight release, and they all judged my movie taste after that. Oh, isn't that That's painful? So, That's, painful. That's happened to me That's like as an me. adult wrestling fan. That's happened to me. Like, yeah. like anytime like wrestling crosses over into the mainstream, it's normally yeah. for something awful, and people yeah. send me like a terrible claim and go. You still watch this, and you're like, "Yeah, you can't defend everything." <laughs> I introduced my wife to the MCU years later to prepare for Infinity War to come out, and had to rewatch it. Knowing what was coming helped a bit, but not much. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you ever so much for that, Benno. I like. I kind of. I know what he's saying about mm. Natalie Portman becoming this kind of. Um, yeah, but this kind of giggling mess. But yeah. I don't know. I think that they're really trying to show flirtation, and they are. There are many scenes, not many. There's a few scenes constructed for the female gaze, and to exploit the fact they've got this this um, very attractive lead role, um, lead performer. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's. What her job is her job to save the day? I don't think so. Um, I think they were probably betting on um, a flirtatious romantic relationship between these characters being attractive to a lot of the audience. Yeah, I get, I get that. I get that. Uh, finally, we got two letters, uh, both from King Canuck. Uh, we, we're including the first one because we didn't uh, get it in time for the Fantastic Four uh, episode. So we're going to read the previous one from. Fantastic Four, the 2015. So, first of all, King Canuck says, How dare you make me watch Fant for Stick, pronounced Fant for Stick. <laughs> I'd put this off ye- for years and years, but you know what? It was time. I read the first seven issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four and opened this up, and that was fine. Boring, too many dark rooms, and it took 40 minutes so, for them to get their powers, which yeah. is far, far too long in my book. Like, the worst, yeah. the worst. Far too many dark rooms, and yes, yeah. 
40 minute like i remember when i was i used to um pay a lot of attention to kevin smith's career if you mm. grow up you're a certain age um as i was and i was interested in, in kind of indie cinema um kevin smith with clerks and things like that is is a really fascinating person to follow and i remember him right i read a book or something about the feedback he got on his the first movie he had a budget for which is called mole rats yes and the feedback from the the first like cut of the movie was in a movie called mole rats you'd better get to the mall before minute 30 <laughs> so we had to recut the whole movie and go no that's no. very fair feedback yeah. this guy the, these characters in a movie called mole rats they have to be in the mall in the first 10 minutes yes um and something similar with the Fantastic Four. Like, if they're not the Fantastic Four until minute forty or forty-five or whatever it is, yeah, you're rough. That's not that's that's not fantastic in my book. Not even fantastic. Not no. even that. Uh, I liked Frankenstorm. I liked the way all of their powers were rendered, except for Johnny flying and something about things designed. Those are both off, and it certainly had a narrative. But this entire idea around Ben Grimm being a secret government weapon post-transformation with 43 confirmed kills, Reed going on the run for a year, it just felt so very wrong. And these costumes are abomination to the FF's name. I barely even want to talk about this Doctor Doom either. He was intimidating and his powers looked cool, but a very far cry from the real 616 man. I'm hoping this episode from you guys makes up for having to watch this. Best wishes from Canada. I thank you, King Canuck. I think our episode—I don't think our episode could make up for watching the movie. We never no. told you to watch the movie. Yeah, we watch it on your behalf with the that bad was, ones. It was your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I again, I think it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's dull. Uh, we also got uh, one from King Canuck on Thor. So, I have a soft spot for Thor, two thousand eleven. For a few years as a kid, my family went on a lot of trips due to my little sister's dance competitions and we had DVDs of basically the first two or so phases of the MCU to go through on portable DVD players. Remember those? I vaguely remember them. I always uh, revisited Thor and the first Avenger a lot because I thought the warmer tone and fun character work was really good. Having read Jason Aaron's Thor and the start of the Thor run that first involves Broxton, I can see how they made this movie's plot. They even used some ultimate Marvel ideas when Selvin claims that Thor is a roided up nursing student. I like the idea that Loki, at this stage at least, is really framed as trying to make Odin proud of him over his idiot brother. It's a nice tragedy to his scheming. I like Jane and Thor's romance, as well as Thor's quest for humility, but I'm really sad that we only got Thor being Thor at the very start and end of this piece. Ditto for use of his Asgardian supporting cast for the most part. Final note, Hemsworth's bleached eyebrows. My <laughs> God. I, th I think Feige formally apologised for that one. Happy New Year, by the way. P.S. Actually, regarding Thor being too magic to introduce so early, curse this franchise of being too afraid of the weirdness. We should have had Amora running around this movie. Magic can be really fun besides realistic heroes. Thank you so much, King Kenneth. Very um, well thought out letter. Um, and I think you're right. I, I mean, I would I would always enjoy more, more magic and more kind of high concept stuff in these movies. Mm. Um I think we get that now. I mean, to think of where, where, how far we've come from here to get something like uh, Multiverse of Madness yeah. um, is is really interesting. Um, and I do, I think, yeah, maybe it's an age thing 
the older I get, the more I think I want a softer tone from. Yeah. Like when when you're young and you're so like, hey, I want my superheroes to be dark and edgy, and I want them to kill and swear and look like a regular person. And then I think <laughs> you, you kind of go, no, I, this everything I love about these is that they're they're kind of silly and over the top and yeah, gauche and a little camp and a little trashy as well. Um, so thank you very much, King Canuck. Look, you guys can always reach out to us, Marvel versus Marvel at Gmail. Dot com followers on Twitter at Marvel versus the best place to find us is on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel because right now you're missing out every yes. month on Patreon we release amazing bonus shows packed full of Marvel stories Marvel history and fun and if you're not with us on Patreon you're missing out on big shows where we deep dive the Infinity Gauntlet the Kang Dynasty Spider-Verse, the Young Avengers and tons, tons more Um, we have an amazing group of people that support us on Patreon going to give a big Shout out to the world class wrestling crew. Um, right, it's one member bigger. Will, did you know this? Oh, yes, Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, Soupy, Jack Davis, David Fan, and holler holler to Adam Joyce, the newest member of the crew that means the most. They give the most that you possibly can to us on Patreon. Um, and they support us in ways that we just can't thank them enough for. When we say this show is entirely like supported so far by Patreon, they are the lion's share of that support. Um, and Adam Joyce, he's been with us for a little while. And uh, you know what, Will? He was down that £3 tier. Yeah. Now, that's a respectable tier. <laughs> that £3 tier, the yes. entry tier, the beginner's tier... The amateur tier, but it's respect. It's respect the yes. respecting the podcast. It's respecting yourself by donating and pledging that money. And in exchange, what do you get? Mini mini episodes, obscure Marvel. Mm. It's a respectable tier to be at. It costs you uh, less than a Starbucks a month. It's really nothing, um, but it's a respectable entry level tier to be at. That's where Adam Joyce has been for a while now, and we say thank you to everyone at that tier. But then something happened this year, Will. Ooh. The start of 2024. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a New Year's resolution. Maybe it was Adam Joyce deciding it's a new year, I'm going to be a new man. I'm going to be a better person. Maybe it was the weight of all the incredible hours of entertainment he's received from (laughs) this podcast. The knowledge that we talk to you more than anybody else in your life. (laughs) Is there a friend you talk to as much as you listen to this podcast every single week? I don't think so. And if they do, they're boring you with their life instead of talking about things that matter, which is Spider-Man and Thor. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was the allure of big bonus episodes because he's at a tier now where he gets good access but he could have adam joyce could have gone from the three pound tier will he could have bumped up to the five pound tier got mm. himself ad free episodes and early access he could have gone to yeah. the 10 pound yeah. tier and got himself 
full-length deep dive bonus episodes like Infinity Gauntlet, Kang Dynasty. But Adam Joyce is a different kind of beast. He's <laughs> built different. And he went from the three-pound tier to the 20-pound tier, the top tier, the world-class wrecking crew. He said, that's what you deserve. That's what I need to give. He's paying his dues. He's paying his yep. dues. He's gone from respectable tier to respected. And that's what happens. The world-class wrecking crew, each and every one of them are respected. Shout out to Adam Joyce, the newest member of the crew. I think they'll have a mixer. I'm assuming that's what they do. They'll have a get-together to welcome a new member. Isn't that what they do? I'm sure they do something like that. <laughs> they'll perhaps all go bowling. Um, that's how I picture the crew getting on. Everyone that mm. subscribes on Patreon, part of our community, help build this podcast, to help keep us on the air. And we reserve our very best bonus content for them. This month, on Patreon, um, we released, spinning out of our Fantastic Four main show, probably the best, maybe the best Doctor Doom story of all time, a, a, a classic Fantastic Four story called Unthinkable. Mm. Um, Doctor Doom renounces science, embraces dark magic, he becomes more powerful than ever before, and he, he he begins to target the Fantastic Four's children and torture them in unthinkable ways. Will, I want to bring you in now to just discuss this bonus episode that we had. God, well, it started off fairly grim, but this it, it, it goes on in a way that just keeps getting more insane and insane, and there's some really good twists to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very well constructed, very well put together. Mm. Um, it's a fun... It doesn't sound it, but it is a fun episode. <laughs> There's so many wonderful um, status quo changing beats that happen in this story. Mm. Um, Doctor Strange gets involved. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really great one. Um, a deep dive into Unthinkable. That's the full-length bonus show for January. There's a new full-length bonus episode every single month. And you know what? There's also a new mini obscure marvel every single month <clears throat> we know times are tough hmm. so you can support us for just as little as three pounds less than a starbucks starbies less than a <laughs> less than a pint can you get a, will lives in the central hub of horrible pricing can you get a pint near you for three quid no does no. not happen what's Even a pint in the of, worst places what's a pint of beer cost in london uh ooh, anything from five to six quid Six quid so, like, half the cost of a pint is all we're saying you can, you know, help pledges at that respectable entry-level tier. Um, one payment once a month. It can really help keep us going. And in exchange, you'll get access to that month's Obscure Marvel and every other month's Obscure Marvel. You can binge, spend that month, that £3, just listening to every Obscure Marvel we've ever done. And that's a show where we deep dive into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to bring you the most ridiculous and obscure <laughs> Marvel characters of all time and stories and things. Recently, we've had... Do you remember Boomerang, who fought oh, the Hulk with boomerangs? Yes. Who Except he didn't, didn't have a boomerang. They were frisbees. <laughs> he doesn't even have a boomerang, Will. Rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. Do you remember the Headmen? <laughs> Oh, which one were those again? The uh, oh, the, they had different the, kinds of heads. The scientists the, that all had different head-based mutations and deformities. Oh, I've just remembered the the guy with the gorilla body and now the crack up. Yeah, <laughs> wearing a tie. And yeah. this month we had 
Zarko, the Tomorrow Man, <laughs> who battles Thor with the futuristic technology of trapdoors and mirrors. <laughs> it's how did these how did these comics start in the first place with stories like this? It's Insane. Um, yeah. We do one of those every single month for everyone at the entry level tier and above. Um, so get yourselves over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And look, we, as we said before, adverts are coming in 2024. They may already be here. Um, we have no choice but to start having adverts during the show to keep us going mm. because everyone's feeling the pinch. If you hate adverts, you're in luck because on Patreon, you get that early access tier, which we're going to rename early access ad-free, and you can get every single new episode completely ad-free for the price of £5 a month. So you'll get it ad-free and you'll get it early. So you'll get it on a Friday instead of on a Monday. You can spend all weekend with the ad-free early access. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. On the other side of this break, we're going to get the deep dive into Thor Remastered. 